get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Driven by Walker, hard to right. Marte going back. Track, backing up to the wall. It's going to be gone. Walker, another opposite field homer. Swag drive. He did. Belton left. Cardinals have the lead. Chopper hit towards second. Step on the back. Throw to first, and the Cardinals win the series. Hicks, outstanding work in the ninth. Arenado's homer in the ninth. And we're headed to Washington with an 8-7 win. I don't like to talk of, uh, is this a springboard for a bunch sure. of wins, you know? But, uh, I, you know, I think, like you said, this is a tough series against a good team. They got some really good arms. Um, to come out with a series win is huge. Now we got to go to Washington, and uh, hopefully we can get a win tomorrow and then take a step from there. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest as the Cardinals win two out of three in New York. Man, on Friday, I was worried. I'll be totally honest with you guys. Cardinals get blanked. All they put together offensively is the one run on the home run by Wilson Contreras. That game was done basically as soon as it started. It was two hours long. And I was going to bed that night thinking, oh, boy. We're going to wake up on Monday morning, and I said that the Cardinals were going to sweep the Mets up in New York, and we're going to have one of those yakety sack opens about how the Cardinals season's over, and BK BKO'd the team. Uh Uh-uh. No siree. BKO'd them on Friday night. But Saturday and Sunday, the Cardinals showed up. Wayno pitched a gym. That was an awesome performance by him on Saturday. The offense shows up. Jordan Walker, Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt showing up in the biggest possible moments. Paul DeYoung with the big fly yesterday. Alex, that was the offense that we've all been waiting for. The pitching was up and down throughout the weekend, but the offense is what really carried, carried them over their last two days. And the result is their first series victory in a month. It's the first time that they've won back-to-back games against the same team since May 20th and May 21st when they did so against the L.A. Dodgers. What would you think of that series victory up in New York? Good victory. I'm not going to sit here and wave the pom-poms and act like the Cardinals are back to being dominant, but 
they did what I wanted them to do. You had to win the series against a bad team. That was the competition of you against them, and you showed that you're the superior to the New York Mets. Good. Now move on to the next one. I will say yesterday was the most impressive out of both wins for me because I said it in that San Francisco series. Now, granted, you weren't losing that game. You were tied, but you lost all the momentum when Tommy Pham hit that bomb and made it 7-7. And at that point, I said, this game's over. You're going to lose the series of the Mets, and now we're going to be talking about nail in the coffin. But then Nolan Arenado struck. And what have we talked so much about? You need your best guys to be your best guys. Nolan Arenado comes up to the plate on Father's Day, takes it deep, and then they hold on to that lead. So that was the one to me that I was most impressed with. Now, none of this matters, though, because all season, what's happened with this Cardinals team is you win a couple of games. You're like, oh, that could have been it. And then they drop the next one. And you might win the next series against the Nationals. But to me, it doesn't matter if you drop today because you've got to build momentum. And your momentum right now is going into New York, beating a worse team than you, and now going into Washington and playing against a inferior team to you. Yeah, I tend to be on the same side as Alex. And for the Cardinals, it can't be one of those where they go into Washington and lay an egg. But the series win against the Mets was impressive in terms of the offense carried you in the two wins, and it was based on your three big bats. Jordan Walker, great series for the rookie. Nolan Arnato won the game essentially by himself yesterday with his two big home runs. And then you also had Paul Goldschmidt have a good weekend, and your pitching was just okay. It, was, it wasn't great. And when I look at the St. Louis Cardinals, this can't be one of those series where I, I can't remember what the game used to be where you'd have like something around your waist, and you like run, and then and you just get shot right back where you came from. You don't remember that game? No. Are you talking I about flag no football? No idea what you're talking no, about. No, it's like you have like a sticky vest on. You run. You got something on your waist, and it pulls you straight back. Man, Chuck E. Cheese must have been wild ten years I have ago. No yeah. clue. Like your description, I have no idea yo-yo what the game is. Yo-yo back and forth about. is essentially what the Saint Louis Cardinals. I'll Google, go a little let's bit. Google I'll go yo-yo more back towards and the seventies and eighties for you guys. Uh, so a yo-yo <laughs> back and forth with the Saint Louis Cardinals have been, and they, they can't let that man. happen. Oh man, nineteen ninety. I was almost in the eighties. Right there. Yo-yos was nineties too. Yeah, I could walk the dog. That's what the Cardinals can't be and look the offense is going to have to be the reason that they win this series in in Washington too I mean they're going to go up against Gray today he's got great stuff he's been pitching well for them but in terms of what Alex said yeah not buying back in but it's good to see them take care of business and now it's just a moment moment of they've got to start winning series and they got to start doing it now and this should be the one that we look on as okay this is when the season turnaround was when they went to New York I'm not going to say that's happening now but it's the one that we can highlight and say if they do turn around this is when it started yeah 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show nobody is say, saying that this is the springboard series like that's what Nolan Arnato said yesterday after the game he said hey listen I I get sick and tired of saying this is the moment that it tur- turns around because we've gl- said that 12 different times. I'm so glad he shot that down. And I think he's right. Right? Like we know what it can look like if they do turn it around. And the only reason we're even discussing it is because of this god awful division which by the way the Reds have won 8 in a row for the first time in a decade. It isn't playing so god awful anymore. However, if this division wasn't so winnable, We wouldn't even be talking about this. We'd be talking about the Cardinals like they're probably talking about the Mets today, which is to suggest, man, this season might be over before you even get to the all-star break. And there's no real reason to play out the string here. But because of your division, there is a reason to believe in this team still. There is a reason to hold out hope and some optimism that maybe they can get things turned around. And all of that hope and optimism is tied into two guys in particular. It's Nolan Arenado and it's Paul Goldschmidt. If you have those two players, and it's why I was so out on the idea of trading Paul Goldschmidt last week. If you have those two guys, you've got a chance. 
might not be a good one, but you got a chance. And right now, over the weekend, you saw what it looks like when those two guys carry your team. Yeah, they're getting help. You're always going to need help. It's a team game. It's why the Angels for the last few years have sucked. They've got Shohei. They've got Mike Trout. But then the rest of their roster is terrible. Well, this year, you've got Goldie. You've got Arenado. And you do have the pieces. They just haven't lived up to expectations. Jordan Walker has been one of the best hitters in baseball this month, guys. That is a welcomed addition to this lineup. You need Nolan Gorman to get back on track. He's been one of the worst hitters in baseball this month. But if you get some, not a lot, some contributions from DeYoung or Contreras or Edmund or Donovan, who's been really good lately as well, now you're starting to see what this offense was supposed to be, and that's still got to be the way that they win games. This pitching staff is just not good enough to consistently win you ball games. The defense should get better. As you get Lars Newbar back, that's going to be helpful for them. But really, it just comes down to can your offense outslug your problems? Yesterday, you gave up seven runs. Didn't matter because you outslugged your problems. On Saturday, you end up putting up five runs in that game. That's what you should be doing consistently, whether it's via the long ball or by playing some small ball, as we've seen at times lately. They have to continue doing those things. And if they do, we'll look back at the series in New York and say to ourselves, that was when they gave themselves a chance. Forget that's when they got themselves back on track and they're going to go to the playoffs. No, no, no. That's when they gave themselves an opportunity to believe again. Because what you saw in that dugout yesterday, that was a team that started to believe. It can be ripped out from right underneath them today if they don't put up runs against Gray. But right now, this is a team that's starting to believe in themselves again. The one part and the pessimist in me will come out right here, even though with all the positivity we had, the one part that I'll be curious about is that was a bad pitching staff you went up against. They had some good guys on there, but overall, that was a struggling pitching staff just like yours were, For and sure. your offense succeeded. What's it look like when you go up against a better pitching staff? Because that's been my bigger concern with this Cardinals offense and why I'm so hesitant to say, like, yeah, it's going to leave them out of this storm and pull them back through. Because when you go up against pitching staffs that have that swing and miss stuff, that, man, can give you that elite stuff. Today's a good test. That's what I was saying. It's been really good this year. I think, great two ERA. I think Sangu was a great test. Like I'll be honest, after they lost on Friday, I went, oh boy, Kodai Sangu's going to be pitching on Saturday. Might as well just get that broom out and prepare for the sweep. And they came out and they they took it to Sangu. Now I know it wasn't like ten runs, but they played pretty well against Kodai Sangu. Like I'm not concerned about good pitching staff. We we saw it against Toronto at the very beginning I'm of concerned. the year against Bassett. Oh, I. I, I don't concerned. think this team has given you the benefit of the doubt. They've got to prove it. I'm concerned it. as a whole, but like I, I wouldn't say, like, oh, here comes a great pitcher. They're not going to hit him at all. Like I think they've shown in spurts that they can do it. Sure. It's a matter of consistency, they prove though. they got to prove it to me because I've seen, regardless of who the pitcher is, it can be Mike Myers on the opposite opposite side of things, or, or it could be. over the weekend. Really? Oh, yeah, Cardinals, tough. pick him up. Do you or see his swing and stuff? It, or it could be somebody like uh, Jacob DeGrom. Like, whoever it is that's on the other side. They, they've got a chance to be able to shut you down offensively, as we saw on Friday night. Friday night, the Cardinals did nothing. And you're going up against Tyler McGill, who's not been great this year. He's been all right. That, that's a guy that you could have done a little bit of damage against. So, um, they, yeah, they, they got to prove it to me consistently. You got to do this against Gray mm-hmm. today. You got to be able to show that whoever it is on the op- opposite side of things, you're going to be able to put up some crooked numbers. And you got to do it consistently. That's the other thing that I loved about what they did yesterday. They didn't just put some numbers up early on in that game and then call it good, which is what we've seen from this pop gun offense a lot this year. No, they were able to put up some crooked numbers early and then double down on it. Later on in the game, you put up numbers against their bullpen as well. That's the thing that we've been missing out of this offense. 
Not just get it here in the second inning and then rest on your laurels the rest of the way. They've got to be able to continuously add on and pour on against the opposition. And that's something that we finally saw from this offense over the weekend. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Cardinals win a series for the first time in just about a month when back-to-back games against the same team for the first time in almost a month as well. We'll be talking about this throughout the course of the day today. We've got Katie Wu of The Athletic joining us here on the show in about 15 minutes. But coming up next... What do you do with this lineup when Lars Newbar does return? Could be today, could be at some point while they're in Washington. That's what we're expecting, at least. We'll talk about that, how it affects the lineup next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Here is stung deep to right towards the corner. It's gone. Lars Newbar is second homer of the game. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That's what it sounded like yesterday as Lars Newbar gets on base four times, including two homers and a double in his rehab stint with AAA Memphis. And he has officially been activated ahead of today's game for the St. Louis Cardinals. So Newt is back. The uh, corresponding move, they're sending Luke and Baker down to AAA, which makes sense. He's started like four games uh, since his arrival. He was basically a guy they were using against left-handed pitching occasionally. And Alex, when you look at the way that this lineup now is able to maneuver, you've got some options. Tommy Edmond proved himself to be a more than capable center fielder over the course of the last few weeks. He has started every game out there in center field since May 30th. So that's basically a three week stretch of just having Tommy start in center. Now you've got some real decisions. So Derek Gould wrote about this over the weekend. He said Marmol's exercise to arrange and rearrange players all over the field includes assigning a defensive metric to each player and the positions in which they play. And then Ollie tries to find the defense that becomes the best sum of its parts. If that means Edmund is a plus second baseman and a plus center fielder, the best option could be an even second baseman. So a basically league average second baseman, otherwise known as Brendan Donovan to avoid a negative in the outfield. And the negative in the outfield could become a DH, thus shaping the infield. Alex, what Derek's basically saying there without saying it is, it's possible the Cardinals stick with Tommy Edmond in center field, put Jordan Walker at designated hitter, and add Lars Newtbar to the outfield in left field in order to get their best defensive alignment out there. When you think about all of the different ways that they could go about this, what do you think makes the most sense for them? I guess you have to ask yourself the first question, what are you hoping to accomplish for the rest of this season. And obviously the answer is you want to make a push and try and get into the postseason. So I agree with that, by the way, being the most important question to ask right now. Yeah. I mean, if that's the answer, which I expect it to be at this point, that could change come trade deadline time. But right now Walker goes to DH and I don't, if you would have said that at the beginning of the season, I would have fought that to a T and I would have argued against it because he's not I would ready have argued for that. against it a week ago. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I can't deny it right now. He can be a DH for it because he's one of the best hitters in baseball in the last 10 days. Yep. Jordan Walker has proven like, yeah, he can handle the pressure of just focusing on your hitting right now. And then every once in a while, you throw him back into an outfield spot. But if that's my answer to the question of what am I trying to accomplish, then Walker goes to DH Edmund stays in center field. Newt Bar goes to left, and then you keep your 
second base, wherever you want to go with it. Although Nolan Gorman probably shouldn't be hitting at that yeah, it's spot Brendan right Donovan. now. There's no, there's, yeah. there is no decision to be made there. It's Brendan Donovan over Nolan Gorman, and now, it's not close right now. When your answer changed to my first question in terms of deadline, when you're out of it and you start selling off pieces, then Jordan Walker absolutely goes back into the outfield. Lars shifts back to center, and Tommy Edmond is your shortstop because then you're getting to the point where you just need reps for these guys so that they're ready to go for next season. So. I know a lot of people are going to get pushback here. Nolan Gorman, to me, should be on the bench today. I think he needs a little bit of time to work through some things. Nolan Gorman was one of the best hitters in Major League Baseball for the first month and a half of the season. Since then, he's been one of the worst. In his last 24 games, Alex, this is almost 100 plate appearances now. He's batting 128. He's getting on base just about 20% of the time. And he has a slugging percentage of 221. Yikes. That's good for an OPS, and I say good in quotation marks, of 430. That I mean, is worse than Paul DeYoung. I was going to say, he was doing, he's doing now what Paul DeYoung did last season. Absolutely. And so if you're looking for what do you do here and what do you lean on, you lean on defense. Because when your offense is not propelling you, and Nolan Gorman needs his offense to make up for being an average defender. I don't think he's nearly as bad this year at second base as he was a year ago, but he's an average defender right now. If you're going out there and you're deciding what you want to put in the in the infield every day, you lean towards DeYoung and Donovan right now. I totally agree with you. I think right now I would go with the outfield of Newt Bar, Edmund, and Carlson. Carlson. And then an infield that includes Paul Goldschmidt, Brendan Donovan, uh, Paul DeYoung, and Nolan Arenado. That's the way that I would go about it. And I would lean on that and hope that my defense is able to play up for me. Yeah, I, I think that's the way you got to go about it, too, because I, the, the outfield defense is the number one thing that they are, are clearly stressing. And, and with that being said, with Newt Barback, you just can't have Jordan Walker out there. And that's where it comes to DH. If you're comfortable with him as a DH, which, again, this is where I think all three of us differ with, with the Cardinals' point of view on this. I don't mind having a rookie in Jordan Walker be a DH. I know they want him being in the field and don't want him focusing on everything and not just focusing on offense. I don't have a problem with it right now. Yep. And let's be honest, with your back against the wall in terms of trying to push for this, if you're going to push for the NL Central and get into the playoffs, you've got to go with your best both defense and offensive lineup if possible. And they can do that now that Lars Newbar is healthy. And that's the way that they should be going about it. And I agree with you. I would sit Gorman on the bench. I, I think they're going to go more and it doesn't have short to be every term. day. We yeah. know how this works. Like, they're going to get certain days where uh, Nolan Arenado is going to get a DH day. On that day, go ahead and put Gorman at third base. There's going to be a day where uh, you need to get Tommy Edmond a day off. That, that day may be today, by the way. Maybe today they decide, hey, Tommy, you've been going hard for the last few weeks. Which and your I, offense, by the way, has also started to, yeah. to diminish a little bit. Maybe you go Newt Bar in center today. You put Walker and left and you end up going with Gorman at, at DH because tomorrow you're going up against a lefty. Maybe that's the best way to go about this for today. But if you're just looking like, hey, put your best lineup on the field. What does that look like whenever they travel, for example, to London to play against Chicago? I do think that probably puts Nolan Gorman, at least for now, on the bench. I do not think this is the way they finish the year. I think Gorman will end up being fine. And I think Walker's going to be your everyday outfielder by the end of the season. I think so, too. But I loved the question that you asked, Alex. What are you trying to accomplish right now? Are you trying to be a team that is getting the most out of your lineup? Or are you trying to play out the string here and get guys experience? Because if you're just trying to get guys experience and you're kind of you think that you're going to be a seller at the deadline in that scenario, you should be playing Walker in left field yeah. every day. 
because then you're trying to get his continuous continuous growth. You want him to get better out there. And the only way that's going to happen is if you get him reps. I think he's still going to get plenty of those opportunities, even with them going with this defensive alignment on their typical lineup day. But I think for now, the best case scenario for them is an outfield that has Carlson, Newbar, and Edmund and out there. I really, as much as we're seeing pushback right now on our Air Comfort Service text line of you can't let Walker sit, he needs reps. I don't think it's a bad thing for Jordan Walker to sit for a few games, still contributing offensively, sit next to Willie McGee for a week or two and just watch because sometimes that works for the best. I'll never forget what they did with Robert Thomas that first season with the blues. He was okay, but they said, no, we need him to be better. He's his defense was bad. And they sat him up top for a week with Steve Ott and he returned and never left the lineup. And it's not like he's going to be like banished to the bench. He's going to be a DH. Yeah. And I bet you like, let's say they play six times in a week. He probably gets two games out there in the outfield. He'll get three games as a DH, and maybe he gets one day off. And you're still hitting in the five hole right now. This is one of those good problems where maybe the Cardinals finally, for the first time really this season, have an outfield defense that they like and have too many options for not enough places for a good reason. Not because they're trying to search for answers, but because they say to themselves, we like all of these guys as options in the outfield every single day. And that makes it a really hard decision for Ollie. Instead of saying, God, who am I going to put out there? I guess we'll go with Alec Burleson. Yeah, go ahead and let's try Oscar Mercado. And this is how he sounded, by the way. By the way, he put his Mercado office. as a defensive replacement yesterday. And I'm like, oh, that cool, tells you everything over. you need to know about Jordan Walker, by the way. This game's over. Oscar Mercado has been a below average defender for the Cardinals, and he is a yeah. significant boost defensively compared to what you're getting out of Jordan Walker right now. So I, I think it makes a lot of sense to go that route. It, I, I don't think this is a shot at Jordan Walker. I think he would understand. I think he would look at Ollie if he said, hey, we're going to use you at DH for a little bit here over the next couple of weeks. And he would say, I get it. Whatever we got to do to win. He's just going to be happy to be up here, man. This is the same guy that went down to AAA. And then when he came back up, he's been one of the best hitters in the sport. He's going to respond. He'll be fine. You'll be able to figure this thing out. But for now... I'll be interested to see what they decide to go with. I, I'm not even sure today will be telling of what their ultimate plan is, but I think the quotes that they give out today will be the things that are telling. Coming up in about 15 minutes, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. But next, we've got some questions for Katie Wu. For the first time in like a month, we've got some positive questions to ask Katie Wu of The Athletic. What does she expect the Cardinals to do with this lineup with Jordan Walker in, in the, there significantly in a big way and Lars Newbar back in the lineup? We'll talk to Katie about that next year on 101 ESPN. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He's Alice Ferrario. 
that's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by the Cardinals insider for The Athletic. She's Katie Wu joining us here on the show, coming off of a Cardinals series win, something we haven't been able to say in just about a month after Katie joins us here on the show. show Katie, we appreciate the time. As always, hope New York treated you well. How are you doing today? I am well, fellas. New York treated me uh, perhaps a little too well, but... <laughs> More importantly, it treated the Cardinals pretty favorably. Their first series win in a month. You know, the last time they they won a series was June 18th through the 22nd, or May 18th through the 22nd, I should say, against the Dodgers. So not exactly something that you want to brag about, but I certainly did feel that the Cardinals really needed to uh, leave Queens with a series win just to start the road trip off on the right track. And they did that. So that was good to see. We could go a million different directions with this, but I do want to ask you about that series victory, Katie. The biggest thing that I noticed was kind of twofold. One, the offense showed up over the last two days, but two, and this is less of a tangible thing. The feeling around that dugout looked different yesterday. When you saw the Nolan Arenado home run and the celebration that ensued afterwards in that dugout, that dugout looked lifeless at times over the last few weeks. And I know some of that is because they've been losing. But even when you saw that victory down in Texas, that one nothing win, they looked just dead in that dugout. Did, did you notice something similar? And was the feel afterwards still that way whenever you went down there to talk to the players? You know, I completely agree. And I thought the biggest tell was when you compared the dugout and the clubhouse after the game from Friday to Sunday. I thought Friday's game was one of the most lifeless performances from this Cardinals club we've seen all season. And that is saying a lot. Um, they, you know, they just you knew after the first inning they weren't going to win that game. And that's just really not a sensation that could, this organization, this fan base had been used to up until this season. That's why I thought the series win was so imperative because to take that win after dropping that lifeless loss on Friday – they really had to grind it out and to see the reactions on Sunday. Now, John Denton said this and Lee.com writer um, for the covers does a great job. He said close games don't necessarily mean good game. And I don't think Sunday was necessarily a good game for either team, but I do think that it was important for the Cardinals to respond back the way that they did and have that emphatic reaction in the dugout. That says a lot. You know, I think the Cardinals knew how imperative it was to win Sunday's game, win the series, and to have Nolan Arenado, a guy who by his own admittance has not had the best season, has not felt like he's produced or contributed enough, be the deciding factor in that game. I thought that was huge for Nolan, huge for the club. And now they're going to carry this momentum into D.C. A big, I mean, you know, they should take care of business against the Nationals. That's not necessarily been a given this season. But, no, I do think the dugout celebrations says a lot about where this team is at. They're finding some momentum. Now they need to continue establishing it. You know, Katie, I, I appreciated Nolan Arenado yesterday post game when he basically said, like, I'm not going to act like this is going to be the start of something big for us because we've got a lot of ground to pick up. But, you know, we've always looked at this on the flip side of, you know, when will you know that this Cardinals team team is going to be sellers but let's do the opposite now that they actually seem to have some positive vibes for Katie Wu at what point are you willing to look at this and say okay the Cardinals might be officially out of this bad slump that's a great question because um so far this season minus a two-week period they have not shown any semblance of being a consistent team or a team that is capable of pulling themselves out of a severe hole I mean this is the biggest hole uh, that they've had all season now D.C. will be telling. They should take it. They, at the minimum, should win the series there. London, I'm not quite sure how to evaluate these, those two games because it's such a different environment. That park is tiny, by the way. Balls are going to be flying out all over the place. The big thing for me is how this team responds after London. They come back to a homestand. 
No gifts on the schedule. They have the Astros and the Yankees back-to-back at Bush Stadium. How they respond there with the jet lag of coming off a 10-day road trip and how they look to poise themselves carrying into July, to me that will, will dictate whether or not this team will be buyers or sellers. And it will honestly probably carry into the All-Star break. So we'll see. I'm certainly, you know, if I'm looking at the Cardinals, I'm optimistic about that series win against the Mets. But, you know, the Mets are struggling just as heavily. And um, I think it's going to take much more than a series win over New York to convince anyone that this Cardinals team is close to figuring it out. But I don't want to take away from how big that series win was because if, the, if they didn't win the series, then I don't really know how they can even continue improving morale or finding consistency at that point. Katie Wu is the Cardinals insider for The Athletic. She joins us each and every Monday here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Katie, the news of the day is that Lars Newtbar is officially back. He's going to be, uh, he has been actually activated at this point. They're sending Luke and Baker down. What does that mean for the outfield? In your opinion, how do you think they'll configure this thing? Yeah, happy Lars and Newt Bar Day. Um, <laughs> exciting for, for multiple reasons, of course, the bat, the defense, and just the charisma. But it's really going to uh, impact the defense, not just the outfield, but like throughout the infield, I think. So Lars Newt Bar comes back. Let's shake and bake and see what this offense or this defense is going to look like. There are a lot of different ways that he can impact it, and Ollie Marmel alluded as to such yesterday when talking about the different ways that he could go with the outfield defense. Tommy Edmond, in my opinion, has been the Cardinals' best center fielder of the season. If you're looking to prioritize outfield defense, which has been statistically and from a metric standpoint, one of the worst aspects for the Cardinals this season, you can, I can see the argument of leaving Tommy Edmond in center field and putting Dylan Carlson and Lars Mipar in the corners. Now, the obvious question is, where does that leave Jordan Walker? You can DH him every day, and that's probably your best bet if you're prioritizing defense. What does that do for Jordan Walker from a developmental standpoint? The counter argument there is MLB is not a developmental league, and we've heard Ollie Marmel say that as well. But because Jordan Walker, they brought him up because his bat is ready and they knew that he was going to have some growing pains in the outfield regardless, I can't see the Cardinals justifying moving him to moving Walker to the DH permanently, moving Gorman to second base as a starter, keeping Paul DeYoung at shortstop, Tommy Edmond in center, and Brendan Don as the roving utility. You know, that's probably your best defensive outfield or your best defensive defense, uh, your best defensive makeup in general. I can't see them doing that because they want, what does that do for Walker? So now we kind of get back to the problem that we had in April, where there are so many players that are talented, that have potential, that need experience, and we're not quite sure where they all fit. So I think when you're looking at the Cardinals and how they're going to roll out Lars Newbar and Tommy Edmond and Jordan Walker going forward, it's going, to be, it's going to tell us what they prioritize more. Are they prioritizing offense more or are they prioritizing defense more? And we'll certainly see. Um, I do think the best thing for the Cardinals to do is to solidify that outfield defense, but I don't think they're going to simply because of what it would mean in setting Walker back from a development standpoint. We will certainly see going forward, uh, but I do think consistency is also critical to this Cardinals team. I would imagine St. Louis not doing what they did in April with a different position, different lineup for each guy each day. Uh, Certainly we'll be telling to see how Ollie Marmel rolls out his lineup, and I think we'll be able to figure out what the Cardinals are prioritizing going forward based on that lineup alone. Speaking of of it not being a, a development league from the eyes of Ali Marmol, Katie, I mean, Nolan Gorman is going through it right now. What is it, the last like 25 or so games he has struggled at the plate? Do they consider just sitting Nolan Gorman for a little bit of a stretch now that Newt Bar's back and you can use Edmund in the outfield if Walker goes to DH? Or do you think Ali looks at this and says, let's let him power through it? 
I think you're going to see Gorman power through it. I mean, he's going to be a critical part of this team going forward. And these slumps, they happen. We saw this happen to Gorman last year in his rookie year as well. You know, baseball is all about adjusting. And Nolan Gorman figured out how to make that key adjustment. Now opposing pitchers have adjusted to those adjustments that he made. So it's back and forth, like just a relentless cat and mouse game. But I think Gorman has earned the opportunity to fight his way through it. I mean, you saw Ollie Marmel stick with Wilson Contreras for super long in the five hole for reasons that may or may not have made sense to us. But And I know it's a different circumstance when you look at the contract based on where Nolan Gorman is at in his career. But these are the guys that the Cardinals are counting on to carry them this season. And I don't see Ollie Marmel sitting Gorman maybe a couple days just to get his timing back. But I, I would expect Gorman to be in there pretty much every day in an effort to adjust the adjustments that opposing pitchers have made against him already. Katie, I'm going to give full disclosure to the audience because um, we are going to play the lineup game here momentarily, and I have not seen it. I want to make that very clear, but Tanner just said into my ear, the lineup is out and Jordan Walker is the DH today. What does that tell you? What's your reaction to that? Great. Let me look at the lineup because I think I just got that alert. I did. Um, Don't tell us anything else. Don't tell us anything else. Oh, Am I not supposed to read it? Am I not supposed to read it? No, 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 no. Don't do that. Yeah. We're, We're going to play, play the game. lineup game just here in just a little bit Walker where we have to guess. DH. But what is your reaction to, to Jordan Walker as the DH? <laughs> okay, well, good news is I didn't actually see anything. Good. Um, the Jordan, <laughs> I almost messed that up for you guys. Oh, happy Monday. Jordan Walker is a DH. Um, that's pretty telling to me. That's pretty telling that the Cardinals need to stabilize their outfield defense, and they're willing to do that. Um, and put Walker's development to the side. Uh, but when again, when you look at the metrics from the outfield defense, it was really, really poor for the last month. So it makes sense that Ollie Marmel has found a way to stabilize a very dire situation for the Cardinals. Let's keep in mind the Cardinals pitching staff is a pitch-to-contact staff. You need solid outfielders that can hit the cutoff man, that can cover their routes, sprint speed. This is the most athletic and I think uh, most confident you can feel in an outfield that doesn't have Jordan Walker. I'm going to assume... Again, that it's Tommy Edmond in center field, and like I would say Dylan in right, and Larson Larson left. That to me is probably your most sturdy and steady outfield uh, defensive makeup. Hey, Katie, we'll be reading all of your work over at the Athletic and following along on Twitter as well at Katie J Wu. Thanks for joining us as you do each and every Monday. We'll talk with you again soon. You got it, guys. Have fun with that lineup game. We'll do. That's Katie Wu joining us here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate her joining us here on the show. Alex, we're going to get to questions and answers on the other side. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. We'll probably open things up with a lineup game, I'm assuming, T-Bone. Before we get to that, though, I do want to get your thoughts on what we just learned from T-Bone, which is that Jordan Walker is going to be the DH today. Exactly what Katie said. They're basically taking defense over over offense and I don't blame them for how bad that outfield has been defensively and I also believe this tells me that they trust Jordan Walker's ability to not not let the overwhelming of being a DH get to him a young player who is trying to stay consistent in the major league baseball all of the hype as the top prospect that's a lot I mean we talked to Corey Dickerson about that last year and he said it is overwhelming to be the DH 
and they trust Jordan Walker, and I don't blame them for it. But overall, it tells me they want defense over offense. And again, I can't blame them for that, for how bad this pitching is. So when Katie answered on uh, Jordan Walker as the DH, she said it's a decision of offense versus defense. And I wrote down on my little notepad here, it's actually a question of development versus winning now. And the Cardinals have stated all along that our plan, our objective is to win right now. And if they actually believe that to be true, the decision is not a hard one. The decision is that Jordan Walker should be your designated hitter. I always hear about how the Cardinals prioritized the development on the infield last year with Nolan Gorman. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. They did prioritize that. There's also one thing that doesn't really get talked about a whole lot when we talk about Nolan Gorman not being the designated hitter. It's that whole Albert Pujols thing, how he was the best hitter in the sport in the second half last year, and he was your designated hitter. So, of course, you're not going to have Nolan Gorman getting opportunities at DH because even if you wanted to go that path, it's blocked. Because Albert Pujols was the best designated hitter in the National League for the second half last year. So you're not going to take that guy out of that spot. Meanwhile, right now, Nolan Gorman's not that guy. He was earlier in the season, and maybe he'll be in the lineup today. I don't know. I haven't seen it. But right now, there's not anybody that is blocking Jordan Walker from that spot. So you can prioritize winning now. You can prioritize the defense. And you can keep Jordan Walker's bat in the lineup, which is what you really need right now. He's not going to be your everyday DH, but he's going to get a lot of opportunities there. I think it's the right move. Interested to see what the rest of the lineup looks like. We'll do that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Oh, here we go, yeah, baby. This Starting is a fun the one. week off. It's been a long time since we did the lineup. Hey, team. guys, Jordan Walker's a DH today. Spoiler. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That is the one bit of information, full disclosure, that we do know. It was a piece of information that we needed to get to with Katie Wu, so I appreciate T-Bone letting us know that Jordan Walker will be the designated hitter today. So that does influence a lot of our decisions here, Alex. We might have been a disaster on this lineup game had we not known that bit of information. Never. But now that we do, I think it can help to inform some of our decisions. Let me start with this. I think Brendan Donovan is very clearly your leadoff guy now especially against right-handed pitching. And so for me, the top of the order, it doesn't change at all. Brendan Donovan is that guy. I'm with you there. I think Donnie's taking it. All right. Way to go, Donnie. So if you don't mind, I think Lars Nupar, who has been out mashed in Memphis, is just going to slide right back into Old Faithful, the number two. This is right back to where we were at the end of last season. Donnie, Newt, I think that's the way that they decide to go here as well. Show us Lars Nupar. You are so wrong. Okay, well, this is what happens when I try and jump in to help Can out a segment. Can I give you a uh, thought? Is it going to go back to Paul Goldschmidt? I think Goldie ends up being their two-hole hitter. Goldie Arenado's 2-3? No. I think they might go lefty-righty, lefty-righty. I think they might go Donovan, Goldie, Newt, Arenado. Ooh, we're getting frisky here. They think that Newt Bar is going to get more pitching to hit. They know he's not a guy that's going to expand his zone. I, I do think for sure Goldie is batting second. I don't think that you're going to switch that up. So let's go Paul Goldschmidt here, and then we can have our discussion about number three. I love gold. Right. I mean, it makes sense. The only other thought I had was you put Jordan Walker there, but I think if you're going to keep him at DH, you put Jordan Walker in the five spot behind Nolan Arenado. You want to go Newt here? I, I, here I are the guys Newt. that I would consider. I would go Newt Bar or I would go Walker. I think yeah. it's one of those two. Because Donnie's playing second base. Gorman's not in the lineup with Walker's DH. So, yeah, let's go. Let's go Newt here. Newt Newt 
three-hole hitter of this offseason. BK just nude it in the studio because we got Newt Bar back, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, I kind of like the look of that. I don't, but that's fine. We'll move forward with it. Wait, what part? The lineup or? Yeah, the lineup. I don't like Newt there. Well, I also don't like the idea of him nuding, but it's fine. All right, so Arenado four. This one is easy. Nolan Arenado! Can I say one more thing? Please. Albert Pujols, I love you, man. Love you too, Albert. All right, now is the question again. Contreras has been a guy that they have been very hesitant to move down in the order. Dude, just say he's been awful. <laughs> I didn't. Don't sugarcoat it, man. Yeah, just, come on, man. No, we like the truth. This ain't Mary Poppins. I a spoonful of there. sugar ain't going to help the medicine. I was going to get there, but he's been one of the worst hitters in the sport for the past month. Uh, I'm going to let you finish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, I'm going to let you finish. I think what should happen is that Jordan Walker should be your five hole hitter. Right I now. don't think that's going to happen, though. I think I agree with you. Washington, should we go with- Wilson, Contreras. Wilson! 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 Ollie loves his guys. This is Jordan Walker, though, right? Yeah. You're not putting Dylan Carlson in this spot. This is Jordan Walker all the way. Walk it like I talk it. Talk it. Walk it like I talk it. Hey. Walk it like I talk it. Walk it. Walk it like I talk it. It's there, man. It's there for him. I can feel it. I'll tell you what slaps this music. All right, Dylan Carlson. Have you ever said that before? No, yeah, I say slaps all the the time. No, I say slaps all the time. No shit. I was driving the other day in the car with Adelaide, and we played Frozen. Do you want to build a snowman? I looked at her, and I said, baby, this slaps. Okay. Did she know what you were talking about? No, she just looked at me like this, (laughs) like, what the hell? All right, seven-hole hitter. We've got Donnie, Goldie, Newt, Arenado, Contreras, Walker's our top six. I think this is Carlson. Yeah, this is Carlson. Dylan. What a shame. Oh, Mm. Janet. Okay. This is Oscar Mercado. (laughs) Um. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I was gonna say. So, so we're so we're lacking. Oh, is what? this Paulie D? Are they? Is Paulie D? Hit a home run yesterday. Is Gorman gonna? I don't know where Gorman would play today. unless you're playing Donovan at shortstop and Gorman at second. I guess you could try you that, but Burleson that kind of goes against in, the defense thing. No, I don't know where he would be hitting because we know that. I um, say Paulie D. Okay, let's go. I say Paulie D. Young. What the H is wrong with you? Guys? Okay, let's let's go with Gorman. It's got to be Gorman, and I don't know exactly where he's is playing. He playing. No, Walker's the DH. Yeah, I don't know where he's playing, but let's go. Gorman. This sucks. Is it Gorman? Storming Gorman. He's taking the league by storm. Where is he playing? Holy bleep! Gorman no, Gorman's playing right field. Now he's at shortstop today. Oh God! All right, Paul DeYoung. <laughs> the King. Seriously, where the where the bleep is Nolan? Oh, Donovan's probably in the outfield. Throwing the Angels in the outfield. He's playing right field today. But so they're not going to play Edmund? No, Edmund's in center. They're not playing Carlson. Oh, they're not playing Carlson. This is Tommy Edmund. Oh, this is Tommy Edmund. But right now, I'm going to need you, Tommy boy, oh. to get this place going. Okay. Yeah, so you're going to have... I guess they want Carlson to rest up that elbow. That makes sense. Gorman at second base. You're going to have Donovan at right field. T-Bone, run it. Here's your lineup today. Leading off, Brendan Donovan in left field, batting second. Paul Goldschmidt at first, third. Lars Newbar in right. Nolan Arnato at third, batting fifth. Wilson Contreras catching sixth. The DH, Jordan Walker. Seventh, Nolan Gorman at second base. Eighth, Paul DeYoung at short. And ninth, Tommy Edmond in center field. Sorry to interrupt, BK. Jack I was Flaherty just playing through in my head. Just figured he would be able to give us the full thing. Well, you know what? It was a good decision by you. How do you feel about it? Pfft, sounds like a loser. 
I would for like Washington. For Washington. I would like it a lot better if Carlson was in there. Well, you got to get days off. I think yeah. like what Tanner said during the commercial break, or maybe he said it on air. I could see every day being a day off for an outfielder. Yeah, I just minus large. I just didn't assume it'd be the guy that you know. Yeah. The one that actually his elbow was sore, but hey, maybe I'm wrong. That makes sense. I also think they look at it and go, yeah, Carlson again tried to, you know, maybe a little bit of a You start him tomorrow against better. the lefty. Yeah. So yeah. who gets the day off tomorrow? Tommy Edmond. Lars goes to but center. But against the lefty? I, I, feel, like, say Walker. I feel like Edmond gets Wednesday off. I can see Walker getting tomorrow off. Tommy hasn't been hitting lefties or righties lately. Hmm. Gorman hasn't hit anything. Lately. Could also be Donnie tomorrow. Nah, you don't sit down. Getting a day off. I like it. I, I really like the look of this one through six. If Contreras starts hitting again, man, you're going to talk about this lineup. We're going to be like, okay, yeah. Weird first two months of the season. My God. Remember, weird first two we're months. We're just going to laugh about it at the end of the day, you know? <laughs> just remember all the bad times we had. But you look at it. Donovan, Goldie, Newt Bar, Arenado, Contreras, Walker. Again, if Contreras starts hitting, that's as good as you're going to see. It's as good as you're going to see, at least in terms of the, the potential of what that lineup could be. You hit the nail on the head. Thank you, Janet. I appreciate that. Coming up next, speaking of Jordan Walker, he has shown you everything that you wanted to see out of him so far this season, especially over the course of the last month. Give you some numbers on where he ranks in the month of June, not just among rookies, but in all of Major League Baseball. And I've got a comparison for you guys. We'll get to it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Jordan Walker is your batter. That one hit a mile high toward right. Marte going back. Dead sprint. Look at that ball. Carry. That ball is gone. Walker goes the other way. Two homers for the Cardinals today, and it's a 4-1 score. Driven by Walker, hard to right. Marte going back. Track, backing up to the wall. It's going to be gone. Walker, another opposite field homer. This kid is special. He has got special, special power. Opposite field again. He's turning out to be one of our best players this month, and, you know, we'd love to see what he's doing. And, yeah, just going to try to keep it rolling. We got a chance to win another series and then go have some fun in London. So I think we got some good vibes going right now. We're just going to try to keep him up. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. That voice you just heard was Paul DeYoung. Jordan Walker has not just been one of the Cardinals' best hitters in the month of June. He's been one of Major League's best hitters in the month of June. Alex, the only guys in the National League that have been more productive in terms of OPS Plus this month than Walker are Fernando Tatis Jr., Eddie Rosario, Corbin Carroll, Jorge Soler, Nolan Arenado, and Christian Walker. That's six guys. Jordan Walker, seventh on that list. He has been outstanding. This month, he's slashing 327, 417 with a 615 slugging percentage. And what really stands out to me, Alex, he's walking more than 11% of the time. He's only striking out 13% of the time. He's not chasing the way that he did the first time that he came up. He's still hitting the ball as hard as he ever has. He's getting it in the air a little bit more often. We're seeing that lift pay off with the four home runs so far since his return. He just looks like a different guy. He looks so much more comfortable at the plate. This is the player that we were sold. If you were wondering like, hey, were we overhyped on another prospect that was coming out of the Cardinal system? The past three weeks, at least for me, has been enough to show me. No, 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 no. 
this is different. This is what a top prospect in all of Major League Baseball is supposed to look like. It looks different. The ball off of the bat sounds different. The feel of that guy being in the clubhouse, the excitement that happens when he does something that is special, that is a little bit different. So I'm in. I, I couldn't be more convinced right now. The guy is an untouchable asset. He's somebody that you're building around for years to come. The defense needs to get better. It's a liability for you right now in the outfield, but his bat is so good. Your best chance to win right now really is as it is today with him as your designated hitter. I'm not worried about the defense. I mean, I think it'll be fine long term. Yeah, I mean, he's never going to be a gold glove defender in the outfield, but if he's average, which he's 21 years old and you're only going to get better as you get more and more reps in the outfield, I'm not worried about that. What I am worried about is what you said, being overhyped by a front office when it comes to a prospect in terms of his offense, because I feel like I've gone through it with this Cardinals team, whether it was Dylan Carlson, whether it was Harrison Bader. Heck, you can go all the way back to Colby Rasmus, where I always felt like they found the offensive weapon in the outfield to build around moving forward. I mean, as Cardinals fans, everybody listening right now can say how jealous it feels to look at Ronald Acuna Jr. and look at Juan Soto and look at all of these stud young players that were drafted or signed in the international market and say, man, why can't we have one of those? And we felt like we were robbed, unfortunate, with the death of Oscar Tavares. You never got that back. Now you've got it. And what I said last year with Albert Pujols, uh, the second half where every time he stepped to the plate, I stopped what I was doing. I felt like it was 2001 Albert Pujols. I got that same vibe with Jordan Walker over this weekend. Every time he came to the plate, it was stop what you were doing. Saturday, I was on the golf course with my dad for Father's Day. I waited to tee off because of the Jordan Walker home run. That's what he has. And he's 21 years old. He's showing his offense and what it's worth. And now you're building upon it. So I'm like you. I'm all in on this Jordan Walker train, and I'm ready to see what the career looks like. And it's like. not just the power. The power is really tantalizing, and the opposite field homers is also something worth keeping an eye on. That is something that started to develop as well, where that shows you, okay, he's just trusting his stroke, and he's got so much raw power that it's carrying. And that is why they wanted him to get the ball in the air, because they know you don't have to try to hit the ball hard. That's going to happen naturally for you, dude. If you're able to get it up off of the ground a little bit and – I'm not talking fly ball all day. No, 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 no. Just liners. Line drive power th- through into uh, right center, left center. Those are That's where you're going to win. And when you do that, you're going to start hitting home runs as a result of that. It doesn't have to happen all overnight. It's going to be a little bit of a development curve for a guy that is 21 years old that's getting his first opportunity in the big leagues. But it's also his ability to just get those seeing eye singles. Even when he is on the ground, He hits the ball so damn hard that it's finding holes. He has now hit safely, Alex, in 29 of his 35 career big league games. 29 out of 35 games, he has at least one hit in them. He joins Albert Pujols and Rogers Hornsby as the only Cardinals hitters age 21 or younger with multiple double-digit hitting streaks in the same season. Alex, he's played 35 games, and he already has two double-digit game hitting streaks in his young career. What we are watching is special, dude. And so over the weekend, I was reading over on The Athletic, and they were writing about the best young players that you would build around right now. And they had Jordan Walker on that list. I believe he was fourth on their list of the top young players that you would want to construct a team around right now in all of Major League Baseball. Look at us go, Tivo. We got a fourth guy. Let's go. And they said something that I found to be really interesting, and it was a comparison that I hadn't heard previously. And when I heard it, I couldn't unhear it. They mentioned how Vladimir Guerrero Jr. 
was a guy that early on in his career, he also hit it on the ground a ton. He's had a 52% ground ball rate over his first two seasons. Now, he also broke into the big leagues and hit the ball really, really hard. Didn't necessarily have a natural position that you felt great about defensively. He's been a below average defensive player his entire uh, major league career. Don't look at the gold glove that he won last year. He's he's not a good defensive player. That's okay. Uh, He's in there for his bat. Year one, he hits 275, and he shows a little bit of power. It's 15 home runs that season and 120 games, but really it's about, okay, you can start to feel that this is growing. Year two, it's the 2020 pandemic season. He continued to grow a little bit, got a little better offensively. Year three, the breakout really happened. He was a 300, 400, 600 slash guy, ended up that year leading all of major leagues in OPS, finished second in the MVP voting. And now he's one of the best young players in all of Major League Baseball that everybody would want as a part of their team. Still a liability defensively, but man, the guy hits the ball so hard, so consistently that everybody would love to have that guy in the middle of their order. Alex, when I heard that comparison, I thought to myself, that's it. That That is the one that we've been looking for. They're a little different. You got Jordan Walker, who's super athletic, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who's not exactly the most fleet of foot. But as hitters, you just want to look at the way that they win at the plate. That's who Jordan Walker compares to be. That is what the future of Jordan Walker could potentially be if it continues going in the trajectory that we're watching right now. And I think anybody listening would be all aboard of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. trained there. And the difference in those two positions is you got the one guy who started out at third base, moved him over to first. You got an outfielder. And to me... That's the area of weakness for this team. And that goes all the way back, circling back to what we started with. I don't care about his defense. If you're average in the outfield, you can find a above-average elite defender who can't hit and cover for Jordan Walker. It is all about the offense. It's all about the bat. And to me, it's all about the star power. Because if you've got a guy who's got that star ability, it it breathes life into the, to the rest of the group. And I think that's the one thing the Cardinals have been missing for a really long time. You've got the older stars and no disrespect to Goldie, Goldie and Arenado, but it's different when you've got a 21 year old who's got all of this potential compared to somebody who's had the potential still in it, but on the back end of it, John yeah. Walker's got everything in front of him. And when you look at like Vlad jr, What's he do? He just damaged anything that's in the zone. And you're starting to see that with Jordan Walker to the point, I mean, opposite field home run. Guy that can hit the ball really hard, though it still is on the ground. He just crushes the baseball. And I just just was looking to see what like Vlad's walk rate is. He's like right around league average. Yep. And I think that's about where Jordan Walker's going to be. And, and the reason I'm super excited, because look, I, I've always known that the bat skill was probably going to be there for Jordan Walker. I didn't agree with him when they sent him down in the first place, but it was clear he was chasing a lot. And it's good to see him make that adjustment. That's what you saw from Nolan Gorman last year where he started to make adjustments, got rid of the leg kick, moved to a toe tap. Jordan Walker has learned something, not quite sure what it is, but he's learned to lay off that slider that's low and away and wait for them to get in the zone. When they pitch in the zone, he's doing damage. So you're seeing him, as much as we've talked about Nolan Gorman, we talked about with Katie Wu when she joined us earlier in the show about how Gorman went back and forth where he kind of makes an adjustment, the baseball just right back, and then he makes the adjustment, baseball just right back. You're seeing Walker start to do that tango with Major League Pitching right now, and even when he was struggling at times, he was still hitting the ball really hard. Like It's going to be hard for a guy that hits it as hard as him to go through major slump. Now, if he starts striking out a lot again, then he will. But as hard as he hits the baseball, it's going to be tougher for Jordan Walker to go through major slumps. Yeah, just I'm not going to bore anybody with all of the advanced numbers, but I, I looked into the first or the the second year for Vlad Guerrero in Vlad Guerrero Jr. I should say in, in the big leagues. It, it's almost exactly what we're watching right now 
with Jordan Walker. And so the reason why I bring that up is because it was it was that third year that Vladdy really started to break out at the the biggest possible level. And I think that we're about a year away from Walker being able to do something similar. I, I don't think he's going to be a finished product this year. He's going to go through another dry spell, most likely, because this is what happens. He's going to the, the pitching will adjust to him after he adjusted to the pitching, and then it will be his job to do the exact same thing once again. But man, this guy is a special and unique talent. And when you look at any of the underlying metrics, much less like Obviously, you look at the batting average, the power production, all of that is there. Sometimes that can lie to you, though. Any of the underlying metrics that you look at, it's all there. Blinking with red lights of, oh, my God, this is real. What you're watching right now is not something that is going to fade away. It is something worth betting on uh, in the long distance future. The other thing that I really love, and I'm mad at myself that I hadn't thought about this comparison before about the comp to Guerrero Jr. is that he goes up the middle a lot. He is not a guy that goes super pull heavy. He's a 27% pull hitter, 15% oppo hitter, and then 60% of his hits are going up the middle. His batted balls are almost always up the middle. And when you look at the way that Jordan Walker wins, I don't know if it'll be to that degree, but he is another guy that does not have to be a dead pull hitter in order to have that success. And I think that pretends really good things for him long-term. So I, I think this is the best comp that I've seen from anybody so far. It makes a lot of sense. And if he ends up becoming Vlad Guerrero Jr., I think everybody in St. Louis will be happy. Every single person, even with the deficiencies, potentially defensively. The offense that he can bring to the middle of this lineup is unlike anything that the Cardinals have produced from their system since Albert Pujols. That does not mean he's going to be Albert. It means that they haven't produced a bat that can be this good in the middle of their order since then. Walker will be his own guy, but he's got the special talent that you wouldn't bat on here in St. Louis. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, speaking of special talents, Jordan Hicks certainly has that, but it has not been productive over the last few years. He has completely changed the way that we're looking at the back end of the bullpen, though, right now. We'll talk about how coming up in 15 minutes. But coming up next, Alex might be ready to be willing to part with a draft pick in order to dump a salary because of what it could mean for them in the short and long term. We'll talk about what that means for the Blues next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, earlier today I was reading over on The Athletic about what teams can do to weaponize their cap space, and there are very few of them that have the cap space to do such a thing, but they mentioned a few of them. It's your typical suspects. It's Arizona. It's Anaheim. Philly has a little bit of cap room to play with right now. San Jose. Those are kind of the teams that you're looking at. And as we head into the offseason, Alex, we talked about this a lot. There's a real cap crunch around the NHL. So there are teams that would love nothing more than to unload some of their long-term or even short-term cap hits. They don't want to be a part of their roster anymore. The Blues might be one of those teams. You look at their blue line specifically and say to yourself, man, if, if they could unload that Tory Krug deal, that would be ideal. If you could maybe move that Nick Letty deal off the books, that would be nice. Even a Marco Scandella, for example, at a little more than $3 million on an expiring deal, you'd like to be able to move that if you could to be able to get more playing time for some of those younger players that are coming through the system. The Athletic wrote about what it would take to be able to move such a contract. 
And they basically came to the conclusion that, hey, if you want to move a deal, you're going to have to include at least a second round pick in order to do so. It could be a future second, but a second round pick is what it's going to cost. If you're in Doug Armstrong's shoes this offseason, Alex, does it make sense for you to have those kinds of conversations with one of these rebuilding teams to dump a salary on them? See, there's two different conversations there. If I'm Doug Armstrong, absolutely. But Doug Armstrong won't do it because Doug Armstrong, he even said it when we spoke with them a couple of weeks ago that you you can never have too many bodies on defense and I'm not going to pay to trade one of those away. So unless he's getting something in return, I don't see Doug Armstrong looking at that as, oh, yeah, I just give up a second round pick to get rid of him. Now, maybe internally that could have just been GM speak. Maybe internally they do believe that there's somebody out there that can make them better defensively. But first they have to offload a contract. Unfortunately, when I read through this article today, I think the hopes and dreams of people wanting to trade away Tory Krug, you can kiss those goodbye. Because the most in terms of contract length on that list by the athletic was two years. And you're not getting rid of four years at six and a half million dollars unless somebody desperately wants Tory Crew. But that remains to be seen. Unlikely. The one that you go to, of course, is Marco Scandella. But I'm kind of on the side of just keeping Marco Scandella because he's big. He's long. He's physical. And when he's available, hopefully the health is or the uh, the injuries are behind him. He's a really good second or third pairing defense before we saw this last year. The one I hone in on is Nick Letty. Now, and he pushes back against my sentiment of two years on contracts remaining, but Nick Letty's also 32 years old. He's got three years, including this year, at $4 million. And there are teams that are younger that need to get a little bit more experience in certain areas. Anaheim, for example, was a piece that the Athletic threw out there. So if it's me, to answer your question, long-winded, I'll attach a second-round pick. you got two of them next year. I'll attach one of those to a Nick Letty to open up $4 million if a team is willing to do that because that doesn't hurt me, and I just opened up $4 million to explore the potential of bringing in another defenseman around that same cap hit that matches what I'm looking for in that size. That's where I would be looking as well. If you're going to dump a salary, the one that I would be looking to move is Nick Letty. Now, the problem is he has a full no-trade clause right now. So if he doesn't want to go play for Arizona or San Jose or one of these other teams that is legitimately rebuilding, he can just flat out tell Doug, no, I'm not doing it. I want to be here in St. Louis. I signed here for a reason. And I think that what we're going to have here by the end of my contract is a contender. And I want to be a part of that. It's entirely possible that that's the way that this ends up going. But if you're Doug Armstrong, that's probably the guy that you're looking at as the most likely candidate. And if you're looking for a comparison on what that would look like in terms of the cost, it's probably what uh, Toronto did with Peter Mrazek, where they ended up uh, trading down in the NHL draft. And this is something that the Blues could do almost one for one, really. They traded from 25 down to 38. Blues have the 25th pick, if I'm not mistaken, oh, in history the NHL draft. Huh? And he was making at the time $3.8 million on a two-year deal. So maybe this ends up being where you trade down from 25 to like the late second round, include Nick Letty in that deal, and that's the way you're able to move him off of the books. You're basically giving up the right to a first-round pick in order to trade him. It's a lot to give up. And maybe Doug Armstrong looks at it and says, I don't need that $4 million right now. It's not worth it to me to move on from him today. That's possible. But I think that's probably the one real chance that you've got to do something like this. Well, and and I mean, for me, I've I've kind of honed in on Noah Hannafin with the Calgary Flames because his name just continues to be brought up in the rumor mill. Um, And it sounds like Calgary is going to be moving on from him because he's not willing to accept a contract extension. 
I don't think they're going to take a Nick Letty. I don't think Nick Letty agrees to go to Calgary. But if I can find somebody who would be willing to take on Nick Letty and find the piece that Calgary wants to get rid of Noah Hannafin, man, that matches exactly what I want. And I understand he's a UFA after this year, and he's probably going to want somewhere between six and six and a half. I'll figure that out next year. But for right now, my defense, if I'm sticking with Tory Krug, of a Hannafin, Falk, Krug, and Pareko top four, that's a damn good-looking defense in terms of size, ability, and frankly, a little bit more experience than what you've just had. So moving deals like this is one way to operate. Another way to do it is via the buyout. The Blues do not do that. That is not not happening. happening. They are not going to buy anybody out because Doug Armstrong has never bought anybody out. He is somebody that operates where if I made a mistake with a contract, that's on me. And then I have to figure out a way to manipulate the system to remove that from the books. He did that when he traded for Braden Shin, for example, and he got rid of a bunch of contracts that he did not want to be here in St. Louis. However, other teams do use this as part of the way that they operate. One of those teams is the Vancouver Canucks, who decided to buy out Oliver ekman Larson over the weekend. Alex, this happened on Friday as the Fastlane was broadcasting, and Jamie Rivers brought up the possibility of bringing him here to St. Louis. Here's what he had to say. The Vancouver Canucks have bought out or will be buying out Oliver ekman Larson. I would go kick the tires on Oliver ekman Larson and sell him on the idea of recapturing your market, your value. If you can get him here on a one-year, maybe two-year deal for less than $2 million, absolutely. Kick the tires on it. This is a former sixth overall draft pick. Um, You could hopefully figure out what went wrong in Vancouver and put you back on top. Here's my issue, though. He's not a top four defenseman for you. I mean, I'm. I looked at the the comps just from 2013 until now, both for he and Tory Krug, same age, same time frame, same amount of games played. Essentially, what you're getting is a taller Tory Krug. Now, Oliver Ekman Larson has more of a goal scoring ability. He's got more goals on the power play. He's got more hits than Tory Krug, so he's a little more physical. You know what he also is? Probably one of the most unreliable defensive players in the National Hockey League. If you look at what he has done in that that spam, T-Bone, tell me if this sounds interesting to you in terms of a defenseman. All right, I'm in. 724 games played. Sounds great, right? 372 points. Guy scores points. He is a minus 136. In that same time frame, in that same time frame, Tory Krug has played 698 games. He's got 442 points. And it's a plus 32. You are getting a taller Tory Krug. So if I'm getting him for a million, two million dollars and I'm able to get rid of Tory Krug's contract, sure. Why not? If I got a top four next season of Oliver Ekman Larson, Colton Pareko, insert another defenseman, maybe Noah Hannafin's name here, and Justin Falk, looks great. But if my top four next year is Krug, Ekman Larson, Pareko, and Falk, you might have gotten worse defensively, and yes. I'm not doing that. Some of the closest comparisons from hockey reference are Jeff Brown, Kevin Shattenkirk, and Tyson Berry, just to put some more names on the comparison of who he is as a player. I'm not interested, man. I'm really not. If I'm going to go that route, and I know he's got the size, and that's really what's appealing about him, I would just rather play Marco Scandella in that spot. I would rather yeah. find out what Tyler Tucker can be for you Scott defensively. Perunovic. There's just guys internally that I would rather give those opportunities to. It's not about the money. It's about the roster spot. It's about the playing time. This is probably not going to be a season in which you are really trying to win at the highest possible level. 
And so I'm not bringing in a guy like this for my defensive core. If an Oliver Ekman Larson becomes available as a forward, that may be a different conversation. And in that scenario, maybe we could talk about it. But your blue line is already crazy crowded. I'm not adding one more body to that mix just because you think maybe there's a chance that he's able to recapture some of his previous form. If he played on the right side and you didn't have Robert Bortuzzo, then maybe I would consider it. Yeah. But you do have Robert Bortuzzo, and you don't really need a guy like this and, to play third-pairing minutes. And somebody did text in and say, oh, well, he spent a majority of his career in Arizona. Absolutely, and probably two of his worst years were his final couple of years in Arizona when the team was bad. But the numbers don't lie. He's actually this bad defensively. I, I mean, he was this bad in Vancouver this year. He was minus 24, and I mean, they were sitting him half of the season. And and by the way, just in terms of people that think he might sign for less— uh, remember what Ryan Suter got this offseason from the Dallas Stars, where he was bought out by Nashville. Or it was two, three offseasons ago. I mean, they paid him a four-year contract extension close to $4 million a year. Ekman Larson's not just going to go somewhere and sign for cheap. If he's going to go, somebody's going to give him a handsome penny to play. Even if he did, though. Even if he was willing to sign for cheap. I don't think it should be here. I mean, if it's $1, really million, not. If it's $1 million and I'm... But where's he playing? Figure that out. I mean, he's got offense. He's good on the power play, and he's better than Nick Letty on the power play. But for I've you. already got Tory Krug. You're not going to be able to get rid of Tory Krug. You're, yeah. you're just the realistic outcome here is you're you're most likely going to have to deal with the guys that you have internally. And I'm already fighting and clawing to be able to find opportunities for Scott Perunovic at some point this year, whether it's day one or by post trade deadline. Yeah. I'm not adding more question marks to that mix right now. If they were trying to win at a really high level this year, the upside play with Ekman Larson might be worth it, even if it means blocking some of your prospects. But that's not the case. This isn't 2019. This isn't 2021 even. Going into this upcoming season, for me, I'm just not interested because of what it means for potentially your young guys and the lack of opportunities that it would be. That's why I want Noah Hannafin. 25 years old, you find a way to lock him up, that makes more sense for your future. Yeah, if I'm getting a guy that becomes a core piece, sure, block some of your young guys as a result. This is a high upside play where the realistic outcome is probably a below average defenseman anyways. I don't need to go out and get one of those guys. Noah Hannafin's a sure thing. That's I want to lock that guy in. I'm not interested in Oliver Ekman Larson. Coming up next, Jordan Hicks has completely changed the way that the Cardinals look at the back end of the bullpen. I think the Cardinals deserve a lot of credit for that. I think he as a player deserves a lot of credit for that. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. a strike away the pitch strike three he struck out the side and that's your ball game jordan hicks steps up punches out the side in the ninth chopper hit towards second step on the bag throw to first and the cardinals win the series hicks outstanding work in the night this guy's got a chance to be one of the best relievers in baseball if he just stays away from the walks he's gonna probably get everybody out hicks loves the big moment i think this is a, a great job for him a great position for him to show what he can do and i think he's um, got kind of a new outlook on what his role is for this team, and I think that's propelling him forward. That's what we need right there in the ninth. Uh, came in, um, Velo's there, uh, was able to land his other stuff. It's just a uh, very uncomfortable at bats overall. Uh, it's looking pretty good. 
Audio courtesy of Valley Sports Midwest. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Jordan Hicks looks like a new pitcher. Alex, let's go in the wayback machine here for just a moment. On May 5th, he gave up two walks, a hit, and three earned runs. He entered the game. Cardinals were up. He left the game. They were down against the Detroit Tigers. It was one of many blown saves that he and, frankly, the Cardinals bullpen as a whole have had so far this season. At that point, his ERA was 7.6 this year. We all said the next day when we came on the radio, it's time to cut ties. This is not a guy worth holding on to. He is not going to get back to form that he had in 2019. It's over. It's been three years. You've been trying and trying and trying like heck to find the right role for him to get him back on track. It's just not going to happen. Well, since then, he's appeared in 15 games. He has allowed a total of eight hits and three earned runs. That's good for an opposing hitter batting average of 136, an ERA below two. He has struck out almost 50% of the batters that he has faced. He has become a completely different pitcher since that blow up against the Detroit Tigers. Alex, I want to credit two sides of things here because I think both deserve a lot of credit. One to the St. Louis Cardinals for doing what they always do, which is stay patient but also not just staying patient, but realizing that there had to be changes. There had to be changes with this preparation. There had to be changes with the way that he approached his opportunities. He has learned how to pitch as a strikeout guy. He is now somebody that comes into the game and it's no longer pitching to contact for Jordan Hicks. It is about how do I blow this by you with the unbelievable stuff that I have. For his career, below average strikeout rate. This season, one of the best strikeout rates in all of Major League Baseball of any pitcher that's coming out of your bullpen. That is a different mindset when he's coming into the game right now. So I got to give him a lot of credit, and let's give the Cardinals credit. Their coaching staff got that out of him. And so they have now shown that they have the ability to do that. Yes, it is one guy, and we're focusing on one case study here, but I think it is worth noting when they had a guy who everybody wanted to give up on, including myself. I'm calling myself out in that opportunity, and they have turned him into right now what appears to be one of the best relievers in the sport and a guy that, for my money, should continue to be the Cardinals' closer until proven otherwise. Uh, if you don't believe that Jordan Hicks has figured it out, go back and watch the face of Dan Vogelbach up until the point where he hit the ball. I've never seen more of a hitter frustrated with an at-bat than watching Vogelbach go against Hicks. And no all, Hicks all Hicks was doing was throwing sinkers to him. It was the same pitch seven times, and Vogelbach had nothing. He would just... Basically, it was just the sacrifice, like, I got to make contact so I don't get struck out here. That was Jordan Hicks here. And you're right in terms of the concern or doubt over the pitching coaches for the Cardinals for how bad it's been. That should give you hope in terms of, hey, they know how to figure something out because they got a guy who couldn't hit the strike zone and turned him into a pure strikeout pitcher right now and one of the more dominant ones for the Cardinals. All that being said, as great as Jordan Hicks looks, doesn't change my opinion in terms of what they do with the moving forward. If anything, I think it actually adds value to the fact of if you're out of contention, trade him. To, yeah, I, I agree with that. If you're out of contention, there's no discussion to be had. He should be one of the most valuable commodities that's available at the deadline coming out of any bullpen. And so in that scenario, yeah, you do. You just you decide to move on from him. I think what makes it really interesting is if you're back into contention. And I don't know if that's going to be the case. There is a lot of time between now and then to figure out exactly who this team is. But if you are back in it, and I'm talking like 
even within five games or so of first place, that's enough to where you could still consider yourself to be in the mix for the NL Central because there's nobody that's really run away with this thing yet. In that scenario, I think it gets really interesting. And I think you do probably hold on to him because moving on from him does really take away from what you're trying to do at the back end of that Still, pen. Man, I, I'm with you there, but you got to look at it too and wonder what type of value can you get back on these pitchers? And you look at it in terms of long-term, meaning a couple of years, I guess, when it comes to pitchers in the bullpen, Helsley or Hicks? Because that's the decision I think you're going to have to make. How come? Why do I have to pick? Just because, I mean, in terms of, do you trust it being the same next year, or do one of these guys look like they're going to break? And two, I mean, your value might be at an all-time high, and you can continue to try and tell yourself you're in this, but are you really in this? To whereas, man, you could get significant return on a bullpen pitcher like that and flip that script really fast in terms of going back into a contender next year with more pieces. Yeah, I, in a best-case scenario long-term vision-wise, you're out of it and you trade Jordan Hicks because you're going to get something of value in return. But just for this year, if we can if we can look at the next three months for a moment, man, he does change the way that I look at this bullpen right now. Like, he's he's a really important piece. He's the guy that I trust more than anybody right he's now. He's the best arm. He is. And so, I, like, Ryan Helsley, I, I think he's been fine this year for the most part, although he's had some really bad blow-ups. But when he gets back from the injured list... For me, he goes straight back into the eighth inning. And Jordan Hicks is the guy that's closing out games, again, until he's proven otherwise. And I'm just going to ride this thing, man. This is a hot stretch right now for one of the most exciting pitchers in the game currently to watch. This guy's throwing 103 miles an hour consistently now. Like, that's that's what he's sitting at. It's 103 on his fastball. Let's see what that looks like, and let's see where that can take you. If this offense continues to play the way that it is, super small sample size, for the last two games... <laughs> And you're able to actually get to the back end of your pin with a lead. Man, Hicks is a pretty exciting guy to hand that ball, that ball to in the ninth inning. It's going to get erratic at times. There's going to be moments where he's walking the world and you're going to be frustrated as hell because he walks two guys. Then he gives up a hit because of the exit velo when he throws it as hard as he does. And you're going to say, man, that's why I didn't trust the guy. And that's fair. But for the vast majority, you're going to look back on it and say, man, that guy's damn good having him at the back end of our bullpen. And if you could go... Geo Helsley Hicks, who buddy, that's a lot of velo coming at you at the back end of a game. Yeah, it, I mean, right now he reminds me of what he looked like kind of in 19 before he got hurt, to where, hey, but he's better, even better. Yeah. I was gonna say he's better, uh, in terms of closing games out where though it was still erratic because I mean, his walks were kind of down in that year, but you still had that kind of tight cheek moment of okay, I know he's gonna lose command at some point. I think now it's almost better because he kind of knows. I mean, he knows what he's doing now. It almost feels like it, it feels like since he's moved to that first base side of the rubber, he it allows the ball to run. He has, he has in the bullpen, and maybe this is why you move on after the year, Alex. He has in the bullpen right now what Tyler O'Neill did in 2021 at the plate, where it's like, you know what? Forget everybody. I've stunk for the last couple of yeah, years. Yeah, I, I've got nothing left to lose. They had serious conversations about whether or not it's worth it to even keep me around anymore. Let's just throw it. I'm going to throw the ball as hard as I Grip can it and rip it. I'm going to put it down the middle and the movement on the ball is going to do all of the work for me. Let's see what it looks like. Worst case scenario, it gets me sent down and I never play again for the Cardinals. Best case scenario, I get back to my form and it, it's working, man. Whatever the mindset switch is that's been flipped for him, it is working in a way where it's convinced me that this might be a guy that I can't believe I'm saying this. 
maybe you consider bringing him back next year. Well, and that's there's a there's still a long way to go. Down over there, but ten year deal. <laughs> no, 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 no. I never, I never do something like that for a bullpen arm. And honestly, with the way that he's pitching, if he continues, if he gets to the place where I'm convinced that he's somebody you want to keep around. It's probably going to be such a big contract that it's not even well, worth it. And that's what I was going to bring back. That's what I was going to ask and kind of why I brought this topic up. I mean, the three guys that are pitching so well for you, although Helsley's hurt, you don't know what that's going to look like. You locked up Gallegos to a contract extension, which tells you they, they he's in the future. Do you get to the point where it's one or the other beyond this season? And even if you're if you're I think honestly, I, I don't think Hicks is going to be back in any scenario next year. So why wouldn't you trade him if that if that it, value is there? Are you five games out? Are you within five games of the top of the division? Even if I am, I don't think it matters. Because if you are and you sell, how do you look Goldie and Arenado in the face and say, we're trying to win this year if you decide to sell your closer? Same way Milwaukee did Milwaukee did. <laughs> I, I, oh, yeah. I really think it would have the same effect. <laughs> if you decide I'm moving on from this closer because we're five games out, Arenado should be furious. He would be justified in having that Why kind of a reaction. Why didn't hear his cut? He said, oh, he's <laughs> one of the best in the game if he would hit the strike zone. No, I, I just, Thanks. Nolan, I look at the way that he is performing at the back end of that pin right now. And again, we are so far away from talking about this team as a real playoff contender. However, if we're just, we go down that path here for a second. If you get to the deadline and he's still pitching like this and Helsley has returned to form and Gallegos has d- stopped blowing up every second time that he appears in a game. Now, maybe we do what T-Bone mentioned a few weeks ago where, yeah, there's probably not that starter on the market that you're really looking for. Maybe you add one or two more guys that you really trusted the bullpen and you say, hey, we're going to just lock things down. We're going to get our starters to go five and we're just going to lock this thing down. We're f- in the Six through the ninth inning, you got no chance against us. Man. And that's probably their best chance to realistically be an interesting team the end of this season. But what happens if you missed out on the opportunity to move him and get actual value back? And if he has a down season like Tyler O'Neill did and well, you missed that opportunity? You're not going to bet on it again. That's where I think it is a little bit different is you're not going to bet on this to repeat itself next year because he's already gone. He's a free agent. You're not you're not bringing him back next year in the same role. So what you're really just missing out on is that return. Yeah. And if you miss out on it, it's pretty easy to justify. You say, we tried to go for it. We thought this team was worth betting on, and we bet on it. And if it fails, so be it. That's the thing that we have to live with. But when you play in St. Louis and when you're the general manager here in St. Louis, your job is to go for it every season. I mean, what I'm suggesting is absolutely a Pittsburgh Pirates move where yeah. you've got a stud and you say, bleep it, let's just trade them away and I get mean, something in return. Move they're closer this year and they're competing right now. But it's, I, I think it's just the mindset that I'm in of not believing this Cardinals team can put themselves back in that conversation. And even if you're within striking distance... I'd rather get something in return for a guy that I'm losing than sit there and hold on to him and lose in a wild card or just miss out by a couple of games and not have that value back. Yeah, I, I definitely I, think you have conversations right now with other teams if they're interested. Today, if, there, if there's, yeah, I think I you wouldn't. start to kind of lay the groundwork in oh, case yeah. things I'm calling start to people go. today after what I, you did last if night. If someone calls and says, "Hey, <laughs> hey, you guys want Jordan Hicks? Hey, you guys want Jordan Hicks?" <laughs> if someone calls today and says, "Hey, would you guys consider moving on from Jordan Hicks?" I think Mo's answer right now would be. Probably not. Not right now. We're still we're still in hold mode. But if we do become sellers, what are you looking for? Answer, and then they have those, that's what I mean by conversation. Sure, yeah, I'm not saying they're going. Being, what are you offering? Yeah, because well, I, if it's something that like you're never going to get that back, 
I don't think you're going to get that for a probably a not. But I, yeah. I think I think I to mean, be think case about, point, you hold right now. Think about what the Yankees got for all this Chapman because <laughs> that's basically what you're looking at right and now. And if he's pitching as one of the best strikeout relief arms in the game up until that point, I guess the question though is who's the team that's desperate? Because that was the Cubs. The Cubs said we are going for it. This is our chance yeah. to really hone in on the fact that we have a contender and we've got a hundred years of history that we're trying to break right now. We believe in this roster and we're going to give up whatever it takes. And so they ended up trading Torres, who was one of the top prospects in the sport at the time. Who is that this year? I, I don't know that there's necessarily anybody that fits into that criteria. LA, maybe, maybe Texas. I'm not sure that LA's all in on this season. Not the Dodgers, sorry. The, the Angels. Angels. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe the Angels would be that team. But it, do they have? I, I would have to go through prospect. their prospect. But there's prospect. going to be a team when you get closer to the deadline that looks at it and says, man, we think we've got it, but we've got to put ourselves above the rest. And maybe. that's because a lot of teams have that mindset like but we do. I don't do. know that there's a team that, like, the reason why I found Chicago to be so unique that season is because of how much they were in. Like they they pushed all of their chips to the middle and said, "This is not just our core. This is our year." You don't think Tampa might look at it? They that never way? look at it that way. No, mm. like yeah, they, Seattle they're not might. a team. I, Seattle's no good, man. They they might be selling this year before they end up buying. Like maybe Atlanta, if their bullpen isn't performing up to snuff, maybe they can convince themselves. But they're more of a long haul type of a team. Maybe Arizona. They won't I push think all they're, in yet. they're so young, and that's where I think it gets really interesting. I, I don't think you're going to get that godfather offer for Hicks the way that the Yankees did. It really comes down to who else tough. is available, because if Pittsburgh offers up Bedard, then, uh, I mean, you don't have a chance to compete with that, because he's been, it, it's track record, but at least for right now, Hicks might be the most interesting one out there, and man, it's Chapman's going to take a lot for me to look at that and say, oh, I just can't do it because he's given me a shot the rest of this season. Yeah, if you're in it, I don't think you're going to get the godfather offer. And in that scenario, that would be the only way that I would second guess myself. And what I'm saying here is if you got that, here's a top prospect position player that's going to fit into maybe your outfield for the future. Man, that is a really hard thing to turn down if you're the Cardinals, even if, like you said, Alex, you're five games back. But other than that, basically in just about any other scenario where you feel like you've still got a chance, I think I'm moving on. And I think, I, or excuse me, I think I'm not moving on. I'm, I'm oh, keeping on, him. Man. No, come on, move on. Freudian slip there. Coming up next, the Junk Drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out, seven days a week. Juncture team one. What do you got for us today, guys? I hope you enjoyed your Father's Day uh, yesterday. It's fantastic! Thanks, Thanks for I saying did. that. My cousin Brian and I uh, beat up on our our popses on the golf course. Nice. So took good them down. Guys. Felt good. Well done. Yeah. Um. So yesterday Father's Day, of course, there were a lot of fathers throwing out first pitches at baseball games oh, yesterday. Uh oh. And you know, I thought Mo was cold hearted for DFA and my boy James Nail on his freaking birthday. This <laughs> is worse. The Atlanta Braves yesterday made a transaction, and I saw they DFA'd infielder Charlie Culberson. Didn't think anything of it. No, he's a longtime veteran. And then I learned later on in the day that Charlie Culberson's dad was supposed to be in attendance for the game and throw out the first pitch to his son, and the Atlanta Braves just were cold-hearted and DFA'd him, and they had to change the plans completely. 
Guys, let's read the room, Atlanta. Did they know that he was doing that? Yeah. yeah. Like they ahead scheduled of time. It. Yes. Oh, yeah. And that's... they still said, oh, sorry, we got to call up a catcher. Oh. And we got to DFA this guy. That's a Cardinals move right there. There was something positive that ended up coming out of this. Michael Harris, his father, yeah. threw out the first oh, pitch. Oh, cool for his dad. What was yeah. Mr. Culberson doing at the time? Exactly. He was crying. And Michael Harris went five for five in the game Don't after care. catching his dad's first pitch. This Don't is care. too cold hearted. Yeah. I, I feel bad. For Mr. Culberson, who was sitting in the stands thinking, What the bleep? This guys? is a moment in life I've never thrown out for. I personally, Cardinals, hey, I'm open I'm for still, an invite. I would still throw it. If I was oh, the dad, absolutely. Oh, I would throw it. My son was DFA. Oh. I don't care. I, don't yeah. out there. I will throw the first pitch to, you know, Spencer Strider. I want to see Quadzilla. I want to throw it to him. That's kind of an awkward uh, Thanksgiving conversation. He came Ferrario Day at the ballpark. I like to envision that happening someday because we're popular. Who's throwing the first pitch out of the three of us? Definitely me. BK might skip it. I would probably pass it over to Alex. I would allow you to do that. Yeah, I wouldn't let you do it, man. I would have to do it. Yeah, no shot. Yeah, I would have to let. I would want to be all like the three of us there together. If you want me, if you want me to be honest, you know how they sometimes do it where like the family all does it. So they've got like four guys that are right next to the mound. I think it would be all four of us that are doing it. I would let you take the mound though. I appreciate that, buddy. Who you throwing first pitch to? On the team? Yeah. Andrew Kisner, El Capitan. Oh, okay. So you want him to sign the ball, Andrew Capitan yeah. Kisner? El Capitan. Brendan Anonymous is my favorite player, so mm-hmm. I would go Brendan Anonymous. How go dare Walker. you, Lars Newtbar, sir? Yeah, I think Lars is a better player. Brendan Donovan, like, of the Cardinals, my favorite guy to watch on the team because of the way that he plays is Brendan Donovan. I might go, I'd either go Jordan Walker or Big Fundy. Like Jordan a, Walker would be a good I'd one. I'd like to go yeah. Giovanni Gallegos and just like a picture on the ball of him hopping over that fence when there was a brawl at home plate. You want him to try? Yeah. <laughs> like it, rather than sign the ball, will you sign this picture for me, Giovanni? <laughs> <laughs> I sprinted to be able to catch this. Gio. <laughs> Well, that was yeah, Ferrari, I'm Tanner that. Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, the Cardinals have one team to watch out for in the National League Central, and it's a team that I didn't expect to go on this kind of a run. Hell, they didn't expect to go on this kind of a run. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Left side, Senzel. The Cincinnati Reds have swept the Astros. They have their longest winning streak in over a decade. 9-7 in 10. Eight straight wins for the Red Hot Reds. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That audio courtesy of the Reds TV network. How about the Cincinnati Reds? Eight straight wins for the first time since 2012. Alex, this is a team that has completely changed the way that they are playing since Ellie De La Cruz was called up to the big leagues. He was called up on June 6th. At that point in time, they are 27 and 33. They're six games below 500. Now they're 37 and 35. They just pulled off a three-game sweep on the road down in Houston this past weekend. They won yesterday in extra innings. This is a team that is playing inspired baseball. We talked about it whenever they came up against the St. Louis Cardinals. It's like, man, you're losing to the Reds, and we kind of thumbed our nose up at them. And now you look at the way that they're playing. It's like, oh, okay, this is the team that you went up against. It wasn't the Reds team that we saw the vast majority of the season. Here's the problem. The reason why we haven't given up on this team, this Cardinals team, is because the division is bad. 
if the Reds start playing at this level and they continue taking advantage of their schedule, by the way, they've got three coming up starting today against Colorado. Not exactly a great team. And then down the stretch of this month, they've got Washington for four games as well. Alex, are we starting to see somebody actually pulling away from the pack in the Cincinnati Reds who are going to be the favorite to win the NL Central in your mind? We are. And I... It might get worse with Cincinnati because if you're a Cincinnati right now, maybe you look at it and say, ah, now's not the year we go all in. Let's keep developing and we'll just let this play itself out. But if I'm Cincinnati, there's got to be at least some type of piece that gives my team the buy-in in terms of, hey, they believe in us. Let's keep pushing the rest of the way, which makes the NL Central title out of reach. And if that's the case, you're going for a wild card. And I don't think you're a wild card team because there's going to be teams that get a new life down the stretch whether it's San Diego, whether it's L.A., whether it's Philadelphia, somebody who has a more talented roster than you is going to get life down the stretch. So if Cincinnati's running away with this right now and basically stating we are the NL Central team to beat, then the Cardinals might be forced into a selling situation because otherwise you're going to be stuck in purgatory where are we better than Milwaukee and Chicago and Pittsburgh? Yeah, maybe, but are we better than San Diego and Philadelphia and these teams that are going for those wild cards? Not in the slightest. Yeah, your way to get into the playoffs is by the division. Like, that's that's your one path. Yeah. You have to pass way too many teams to be able to get into the wild card conversation. Maybe that eventually becomes something we talk about. I would be surprised. But your route is winning the National League Central. And the Reds are making that path a little bit more difficult right now. They have a lot of young talent. They have a superstar talent in Ellie De La Cruz. And you look at the way that this thing's coming together for them, man. I... I do want to caution one thing. Sometimes we see guys, I mean, we've seen it here in St. Louis, Alex, come up to the big leagues and it's just like, whoa, they're never going to be able to be stopped. Look at how unbelievable they are at the plate. Then about a month later, you look up and it's like, whoa, that guy's striking out 40% of the time. What's going on right now? Why is he struggling? Did did he suddenly lose all of his powers? And the answer is no. Like he's He's a young player and the pitcher's adjusted to him. We could see something like that sooner rather than later for the Reds. Hell, Ellie De La Cruz strikes out more than you probably want to see for a young player. But they do have the talent to go on a bit of a run. And the number one thing that the Cardinals need to be rooting for other than themselves is for the Reds to go through a slump. You need the Reds to fall off a little bit, to slow down this pace so you can catch back up because you don't see them again head to head until September So you can't control your own destiny in terms of trying to cool them off. You got to rely on Colorado or Atlanta or Baltimore, San Diego or Washington or Milwaukee the rest of this first half of the season to do that for you. And they need them to because the Cardinals can't just catch up. They've got to find a way to do that while these other teams cool off the Reds. Yeah, they need somebody to kind of take it to the Cincinnati Reds because I think to your point on them being a young team and like Ellie De La Cruz is going to probably go through a month stretch where they go cold. I think what happens is the moment they get that kind of kick in the teeth moment to where, like, say Baltimore, for example. Baltimore, really good team. Cincinnati probably going to go into that series going, hey, we're playing really good baseball. We can hang with the big boys. They get beat pretty bad by one really good team. I can see where Cincinnati, then you start to have those young kids starting to question, of, oh, boy, maybe we're just hot right now. And then all of a sudden things can start to spiral on them. I think they're going to be in the race all year long. I, I don't think they're going to be a team, though, that's going to ever run away with this division okay. out of the out of the view of the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, I, I the other thing to keep in mind, they're 37 and 35 right now. So while this is a super impressive stretch, they could totally do what Milwaukee did last year. 
where it's like, hey, we're looking at our team. We find our, our roster to be a fun one, and we think that long-term we've got the right build here. They could sell off at the deadline. I don't know who specifically they'll be looking to trade, but if there's interest in some of their guys, they they could be somebody that ends up buying and selling at the deadline as well. That that could be something that's in their future. I I don't think that should shock anybody, but they're a fun they're a fun storyline right now, if nothing else. And they are the one team in the division that, as somebody that follows the Cardinals, they make me wonder if this division is going to be as easy to win as we thought it was going to. Speaking of somebody that is taking the league by storm, have you guys seen what Shohei Otani is doing right now? Give this a listen. Oh. Swing and a drive well hit out to center field, and that one doesn't stand a chance to stick around. Out where the big boys live. The dead center field. Yeah, we're not worthy. We are not worthy. Dead center for Shohei. I can't believe what we're watching. Alex, there are very few seasons that you watch individually and say to yourselves, this is one of those that you're going to tell your grandchildren about. What Shohei Otani is doing right now, this is one of those seasons. He is on pace as a pitcher to throw 180 innings this year with 230 strikeouts. He's got a 3-3 ERA. He's a legit number one starter. And oh, by the way, he's on pace this season to hit just about 300 with more than, uh, I think it's, is it 50 home runs this year that he's on pace for? Yeah. This is absurd. (laughs) I can't believe what we're watching. He's doing stuff at the plate that we have only seen from like three guys in the last 20 years. And oh, by the way, he's in like the top 10 right now in all of Major League Baseball and strikeouts as well. I can't believe this. This is the best season that we've seen from Shohei Otani. He's putting together MVP performances both as a pitcher and certainly as a hitter this year. This is ridiculous. I don't know what's more impressive to me, the hitting or the strikeouts. Because I like... One kind of cancels out the other, right? Because if you're hitting all of this power, I'm thinking, okay, well, your pitching is going to take a step back. If you're a middle of the rotation arm, great. But when you're pitching so well, you're thinking there's no way that the power is there. And then the dude's leading the way in strikeouts. So, I, I mean, I told you guys in the office, it is the modern day Babe Ruth. And of course, BK trying to buzz Killington. Well, I think people overstate Babe Ruth. He did it with a cigar in his mouth and the man was overweight and uh, still was dominant. I want to be clear here. People don't overstate how great Babe Ruth was. He was an all-time great baseball player. But we sometimes overstate his his longevity as a pitcher. He was a every fifth day starter for three seasons. Shohei Otani has already basically matched that with what he's doing so far this season. What gets overstated is what that part of his game was. Uh, Shohei's matching it and exceeding it. Like, what we're watching right now Doesn't is Doesn't have a, a cigar in his mouth, does he, BK? We've never seen anything like this no. and will never see anything like this, most likely, ever again. He's getting better. Like, that's <laughs> the craziest part. <laughs> Guys, I heard, uh, I don't remember what broadcast it was. I think it was, I think it was on the... Radio. I think I heard national MLB radio over the weekend, and they said what's made him better. And Bruce Bochy goes, I think it was against lefties. He used to not be able to drive the ball. Now he's driving it the other way against left-handed pitching. He's like, you literally cannot game plan for Shohei Otani. It's insane. He's batting 300 with an OPS over a thousand. He has the best OPS in Major League Baseball this year. And oh, by the way, he's like prime Max Scherzer as a starter. Right now, he is on pace. To bat 300 with 50 home runs. Here's the list of guys in the last 20 years to do that. Aaron Judge, Alex Rodriguez, Ryan Howard. All three of those guys in the season when they hit 300 for the year and slugged 50 home runs, they won the MVP on the backs of those hitting statistics. 
Shohei Otani is also one of the best starters in Major He's League win Baseball. An MVP and a Cy Young this season. I mean, he should win every award. You know what the best part about this He's is? He's going to get all of the money. They are literally going to say a billion dollars is yours. You can own the baseball team. I was just going to say, you know what the best part of this is? He's sitting there crushing it in every category thinking, man, I can't wait to do this in St. Louis next year. I, I, I can't. I can't believe what we are watching. I, I I don't even know how this is possible. Like I I'm at a loss of words. It's one of the greatest individual accomplishments that I have seen in my lifetime watching sports. Like what else goes up to this level for you guys? Is there anything that you come to mind and you're like that season is one that I'm going to tell my grandkids about? Cuz like 98 gets to that level yeah. for you as a Cardinals fan. But this is like if Mark McGuire was also like pitching and Chris helping Carpenter. carry the team. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like there's nothing. I mean, the only one for me that like in another sport would be what Ovechkin is doing or like McDavid is doing. But again, that's only one thing. It's not like they're playing goal on top of doing all of this. It's a prime Wayne Gretzky season. Yeah, because you Wayne Gretzky did stuff that we've never seen before by any other player in the history of the sport. And, you're not, and it's not comparable, but what McDavid did this year felt like as close to a Gretzky season as you can ask sure. for. Because, I mean, the dude was putting up 100 points in like 60-something games. But that's it. But again, that's like it, the equivalent to Otani and what McDavid or Gretzky did is if they did that and then on top of it went back and played goal while that's they the were scoring part. goals. Like, it's, it's different because he's not a dual athlete like Otani and I, is. I was going to say, I, the other one I was thinking of, too, and again, it's it's tough because there's not even really a comp for a two-way guy like this in, in basketball. It's what Jokic did in the playoffs. First big man, first player to average a triple-double in NBA playoff sure. history, and he's a big man. He's seven feet, and he's shooting 47% from three-point range. It kind of feels to me like Steph, where the question was always like, okay, Steph is changing the game. Teams are shooting threes more than ever before. Can there be another Steph? And the answer is like, no, 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 (laughs) nobody is Steph Curry. Can somebody else come on later down the road and be a two-way player like Shohei Otani? I think it's possible. I I think you may eventually see something like that. Can they do it the way that Otani is, though, where they're arguably the best hitter in baseball right now, and they're in any top 10 starting pitcher list that you do, they have to at least be mentioned as a part of that. I don't think we're ever going to see that again. That's where this is just on a different level than any other player. And I I don't think there's a perfect one-for-one comparison for this because of the way that he dominates on both sides. Someone brought up Tiger Woods. Again, that's great. And yeah, dominant, but it's one thing. I don't even know what the the comp for a Tiger Woods would be, but Otani is doing it in two different clubs. This no, is like, that's, that's disrespectful. You remember when, um, what was his name, Troy Brown, was he the wide receiver for the New England Patriots that ended up playing cornerback as well? He did it out of necessity. It was like a, we're super thin right now at cornerback, and Bill Belichick got creative, and he was like, we're going to have a two-way wide receiver corner. It would be like if he became the best cornerback in the NFL and was also a superstar wide receiver. That's what we're witnessing. It's like Calvin Johnson playing safety. And becoming like the third best safety in the NFL. He probably could have done that. He built that way. But like that's that's what we're witnessing. It's at that high of a level. Or Joe Thomas becoming the greatest defensive end that we've seen in the NFL. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's so ridiculous. It's ludicrous to even consider. But we're watching it. It's like a peewee level kid who just forgot that he was only supposed to play one way. It's so ridiculous. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for in or out here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's In or Out with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Train Heating and Cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. Four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line for in or out. You give us a scenario. We will tell you if we are in or out on it here on 101 ESPN. Alex, I'll kick things off today with this in or out. We're misreading today's lineup. And the guy that actually ends up missing out on the most opportunities moving forward is Dylan Carlson. Carlson is out of the lineup today. They went with Donovan in left field instead. In or out, Dylan Carlson is the guy that ends up getting squeezed out of the lineup. I thought you really meant we were misreading it. I'm like, no, 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 no. Are you kidding me? Uh, I'm going to say out on that one. I... Dylan Carlson's been playing better since he returned. Now, it's not overwhelmingly like, oh, you got to get the guy in the lineup. But given the age, given the defense that he provides, and given at least some sort of increase, I'm going to say I'm out on this one. He's going to be out there. I really believe it's going to be Jordan Walker who gets a long stretch at DH. Uh, I'm going to go I'm going to go in on this one. It feels a little weird how Walker's getting or excuse me Carlson's getting another day off after just having one because of the elbow issue where he got hurts. scratched. Um I I don't think this I, I don't think the Cardinals view Carlson as a guy that's like a projected starter moving forward, whether it be this year or long term. And I, I don't think that's wrong. He still struggles against right handed pitching. Uh, he hasn't been as good against lefties this year. And defensively, I, I think he's good in right field. But I, I think how much of a step are you really taking with Donovan out there? I don't know if it's that significant. So I, I think I'm I'm in on this. I, I don't think we're reading too much into it. I think Carlson's a guy that's going to be more of a fourth outfielder moving forward. Big problem for him. He has zero power so far this year against lefties. In 45 plate appearances, he has one extra base hit. It was a double. Uh, so he's slugging 293 against left-handed pitching so far this season. He actually has a better OPS this year against righties than he does lefties, which I find to be a little interesting. Now, that's not to suggest that he's been great against righties. It's a 7-10 OPS, but he's been pretty bad against lefties. I, I do think I've seen some signs from him, though. Since his return from the injured list, he's batting 270, got an OPS of 865. I'm out on this one. I do think he's going to be somebody that you see more often. I'm guessing this shows you what that, that there was a little something lingering in his elbow. My hope is that it's not a long-term issue again because this has become a theme with Dylan Carlson or just when you start to get him healthy and you see signs, he goes back on the injured list. I think that the guy that you'll see squeeze a little bit is just whoever they're getting the day off that day. I know that sounds like I'm riding the fence. I promise you I'm not. I just think that's the way that Ollie's going to manage this thing is we'll get somebody new a day off every single day, and that's where Donovan plays on that specific day. He'll play second. He'll play corner. He can play anywhere for you. I think that's the way they'll run with it. Alex, what do you have for in around? Guys, I'm not sure if you've been keeping track of what Mason Wynn's been doing, but he had himself a five-hit day yesterday for Memphis. In or out, Mason Wynn is starting at least one game this season for the Cardinals at shortstop. Out. I think that they will continue going with what they've been doing, which is DeYoung and Edmund as your two shortstop options this year. Now, if somebody were to get hurt, that is where I find it to be interesting. If DeYoung or Edmund were to get hurt, especially if it's DeYoung, like it, knock on wood, hopefully this doesn't happen. But if DeYoung got hurt today, what do you guys think they would do? I think it would be Edmund at short. And, and they they'd go new bar and center. Yeah, just do the okay. outfield as is. I think that's what they would do too. I think they want Win to really have a full year in AAA. Because he's been playing really well lately. He's, he's been playing well, but he's not hitting for any power. I don't think he's going to. I think this is something I that we've probably more power than this. agreed. I think this is something we need to come to terms with, though, with Mason Wayne is 
the likelihood is he's going to be more of a slap hitter that wins with speed than it is that he's going to immediately come up and feel that power. Trey Turner early on in his career, I'm not telling you he's going to be Trey Turner, but early in Trey Turner's career, he wasn't the power hitter that he's become either. I think it's going to take some time for that to really develop. So keep that in mind when we're talking about Mason Wynn and what he's going to be at the big league level. It's going to take some time for him to really find that power. Yeah, I'm out. I'm with you, Alex. I do think that they would probably just go with uh, Tommy Edmond there. Yeah, I'm out on this because I I think they truly want him to have a full year down in Memphis. And I do think they want to see more power. I'm not saying like Jordan Walker power. I mean, he's got a 375 slug. I think he's got more pop in the bat than that. And I think that's going to come along the more he plays in AAA. So I think they're waiting for that to show up before they end up making that move. If he starts hitting for power and say Young goes down, then I think they would skip the idea of moving Edmund into shortstop and they would bring up Mason Wynn. But I, I think they want to see more power from his bat. Uh, guys, in or out, we talked about a comparison earlier today of Vlad, Vlad Guerrero Jr. maybe comping to Jordan Walker. Vlad Guerrero Jr. received MVP votes by his third year. In or out, in. Jordan Walker in. will get... Not, I'm not saying win MVP, nope. not even finish second. We'll get MVP votes by the time his third year is done. I knew you were you were going with this, and I'm in. Because he's already showing in about a month's time what changes he can make going from the big leagues to the minors, back up to the big leagues, and showing that ability to get the ball in the air. That's a half of a season in his rookie year. You give him two more years? Absolutely. I'm saying MVP votes by the third year. This is going to sound weird. The more opportunities he gets from DH, the better of a chance he has to be able to earn that right. Because his defense is so bad <laughs> that his defensive war is actually hurting him. What he's doing offensively, I mean, he's been a really good hitter so far this year. He's got an OPS of 850, but his wins above replacement is a negative so far on the season because of how matter. bad he is defensively. And there are voters that will look at that. And they'll say, I can't vote for this guy because he is not adding enough value to his team based on the metrics. You can disagree with that. And I think you're probably right. But that's going to be something that plays into this. I'm going to say I'm in just because I want to bet on Jordan Walker. And the talent that we are seeing on display right now is very real. I'm buying into everything that he is selling. So I'm saying in. I think we see him with uh, MVP votes at some point in the next few years. I'm in too because like... So we know his numbers right now. And what would you say, 29 of 35 games he's gotten a hit in mm-hmm. so far in his big league career? He's in a 162-game pace right now based on his statistics this year. 296 average, 28 home runs, 88 RBIs. He's only going to get better. So I would say I'm in on that as well. I think he could get votes. I don't know if it would be top two like Vlad Guerrero Jr. was, but I think he could get votes where he could probably just be outside the top 10 or crack the top 10. The thing that I love about Walker is that the hit tool is there. You don't have to worry about him being a pure power hitter. The power is there, but he's a guy that has a real chance to be a 300 hitter. Yeah, It is very rare to be able to say that about any young guy, but really any player in Major League Baseball nowadays. There's just so few 300 hitters out there. And Walker's a guy that has a chance to be able to do that at some point in the next few years. And if he does, he's going to get MVP votes that year because of how rare it is across Major League Baseball. Speaking of in or out, Alex, in or out, Doug Armstrong pulled a a fast one on us recently when he said it wasn't going to be a crazy offseason here in St. Louis. We'll answer that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, so Doug Armstrong told you when he met with the media recently 
you know, I I don't know exactly what this offseason is going to hold for us. I'm not sure it's going to be a whole lot of wheeling and dealing compared to previous years. <laughs> okay, Doug. Well, on 32 Thoughts, one of the best NHL podcasts around, they seem to have some other ideas. Here's Elliot Friedman. St. Louis has made a lot of noise about willing to do things, but they they haven't done anything major yet. But this person said to me, you would be foolish to think that they won't be doing something. And he believes they're one of the teams that's going to be very interesting to watch as we get through the draft and and around that time. And, you know, what this person believes is that they're waiting to see if there's any chance like a Keller becomes available. That's a natural match because he's a, a St. Louis guy and yeah. and that's where he's from. But even if not, you know, he said to me, that the Blues, at some point in time, there's no way they're sticking with the status quo. None. And it's just going to be up to you to figure out where they're going. You know the last time the Blues stuck with the status quo in the offseason was? The last time they did it? This past offseason. I was about to say, And guess what year. happened? Not, Not too good. But prior offseasons, traded for Pavel Buchnevich, signed Mike Hoffman, signed... Tory Krug, now might not have worked out well, but Doug's always aggressive in the offseason. And Elliot Friedman is just backing exactly what I told you guys when the regular season ended and the Blues missed the playoffs. I said, Doug Armstrong will be the most interesting man in the National Hockey League in terms of an executive with the team. And that's including what we've heard with New York and Calgary and Toronto because Doug's got all of the chips right now. He's got three first-round draft picks. He's got a lot of talent in the system that you can flip for players that are readily available. Clayton Keller's name popped up. That goes into the conversation we had of, do you flip a Kairou for a Clayton Keller if you feel like that expedites it? He's got the ability to trade away pieces if teams need to get to the salary cap floor. He's got everything available to him on top of having nearly $8 million in cap space for this upcoming offseason. So from now until June 28th at the draft, which Tanner and I will be broadcasting from, Doug Armstrong is going to be probably the most active general manager in terms of fielding phone calls because he can flip this thing really quick. The Blues have 10 picks in the first three three rounds of the next two drafts. 10 over the next two years. They've got three first-rounders and two two third-rounders this year. They've got two second-rounders and two third-rounders next year. So when you're looking at, okay, how involved are they going to be in any of these discussions that are taking place for players that could be moved or anything like that? Very active because they have the necessary assets to get a deal done. If you're a rebuilding team, the Blues have picks. They've got prospects. If you're somebody that's trying to win right now, well, the Blues have guys like, a, for example, Jordan Cairo, that their no-trade clause has not kicked in just yet. And so if you want to make a hockey trade, there's at least options there for the Blues to make. There's a lot of teams that just can't do that right now. They just don't have the necessary, whether it's young or older players, to be able to get those deals done. So I expect Army to be involved in every conversation this offseason. Now, where I will amend this just a little bit, I'll take a little bit of a detour here is this. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to get something done. I think that it's possible Clayton Keller stays put. I think that it's possible that a lot of these trade talks that are out there right now the draft comes and goes, and it's not as active as we expected it to be. And if they make the picks, the Blues, on on tri on uh, draft day, 
Well, then suddenly they have fewer assets available to them. That is a bit of a soft deadline for the Blues to get some of these deals done. So it doesn't inherently mean they're going to get a bunch done and they are going to be a team that filters through this roster and it's going to look completely different in 2023. Not necessarily. But any of the talks that are being had right now across the NHL, stuff that we hear or otherwise, I guarantee you Doug Armstrong is at least involved in those to find out what the movement is going to be ahead of draft. See, that's where I would push back and disagree with you. I do believe that there will be something done with this team this offseason because of what Friedman and Merrick said in the podcast. But I don't know that it's going to be big. I think it could be. He's got the chance to. But like. Pierre LeBron wrote over the weekend, your guy finally getting national headlines. Tell me about him. The Tampa Bay Lightning are trying to move cap space, an annual summer tradition for them. Very true. The name that keeps popping up as a potential trade target is Ross Colton. He's an RFA, but his salary arbitration case is likely going to be too rich for the Tampa Bay Lightning. It sounds like they are open to moving him. So Ross Colton officially in the trade wins, according to Pierre LeBron. I could totally see the Blues going into the offseason, exploring all of these opportunities. Nothing really comes of it. They trade for Ross Colton. They end up making two of their three picks in the first round, and they go into the uh, next season with Ross Colton being the big acquisition, quote-unquote, that they decide to make. But I don't think that's a bad offseason necessarily. It just means that there probably wasn't the same amount of movement that we're expecting. And maybe it's not going to be a blockbuster deal. But what I mean by you're not going to have the status quo this offseason is you're not coming back with the same roster on defense and at forward. You're you're changing it up somewhere. And I believe, and, and I've stated this for at least a month now, the Ross Colton thing, obviously, I don't believe you're going to have the exact same eight defensemen that you ended the season with last year. There's going to be somebody moved off of this roster and somebody brought in or just somebody plainly moved off of this roster because Doug realizes that that can't be the same spot because it's been a liability now for two plus seasons. So if the Ross Colton thing happens, which I I mean, if you're the blues, you have to be involved with that. It's a centerman matches the identity of what you're looking for. If there was one move that I would like, if you had to bet on them to make one specific move and you're just playing the percentages, right? I think the most likely move for the blues this offseason is to trade for Ross Colton. Absolutely. But I also view this as, there's going to be a move of significance, i.e. Pavel Buchnevich, of what they pulled off a couple of off seasons ago that this Blues team makes because it's the way Doug, to me, is looking at this offseason laying in the weeds like he typically does. And people say, oh, he's not going to do anything. It's just going to be the same thing because they're retooling. Next thing you know, it's the 2018 offseason and you've made four something moves to put yourself in competition. I told you guys this in the office. I'll go out on the limb here and say that if the Blues are successful this season, Doug Armstrong will be one of the three in the running for executive of the year because he has that significant of an offseason. So here's my follow-up question to you. Because we've got a lot of texts about Noah Hannafin right now. The Calgary Flames defenseman going into the final year of his contract, making about $5 bucks right now. He's a really good player. He's got some size. He's got some length. He's not like the super physical uh, grunt work guy, but he's got the length that you're looking he's for a, in your defense. He's a bigger Justin Falk, in my opinion. Sure. If the Blues decided to make a move like that, what do you think it would cost them? Because that this is where I have a tough time with it is, I think there's a lot of teams right now that I'm trying to figure out what their vision is because that is almost as important as what the Blues vision is. Yeah. Like if you're Calgary, 
what are you hoping to accomplish this offseason? Are you trying to stay competitive? Are you trying to do kind of a reboot? Like, what what does that look like? And I think that helps to inform whether or not it's likely that the Blues can make a deal there. Because you're not trading Jordan Cairo for no. Noah Hannafin. That doesn't make your team better. I'm not sure that there's really pieces on your NHL roster that makes sense for Calgary. So what do you think such a deal would look like if you're the Blues trying to make that work? Well, uh, first thing you got to do is you got to look at their team and say, okay, well, they view it as a competing roster. That's why they did the overhaul of general manager and head coach. They want new voices to help this team compete. Otherwise, you don't make that move to getting Huberdeau and Uyghur. You don't have any cap space. So that's going to be priority number one for them is, look, if we're offloading Noah Hannafin, we're getting something back that's cheaper than what he was making. Their defense is set next year. You don't have to worry about that because of Uyghur and because they've got Shillington. Goaltending's not really going anywhere for them. So if you're Calgary, if I'm the Blues looking at that saying, you need somebody to play in your top nine that can be a difference maker. And it doesn't have to be somebody that sets the world on fire like a Jordan Cairo, but maybe you talk about one of these players that could be pushing for an NHL roster this season. Maybe it's a guy like a Zachary Bolduc. Maybe it's a Zachary Dean that you acquired for Ivan Barbashev, but maybe he fits their destination a little bit more. Or maybe you got to get to a little bit more uncomfortable territory and look at your middle six and talk about players like a Brandon Saad if he's willing to accept a deal, or maybe somebody like a, a Toropchenko or something like that. Yeah, I just don't know. Like, I, If you're the Blues and you want to make that move, I think you need Calgary to feel like they're going through a downward spiral. I but think you need them to rebuild. But they're, they're getting rid of him no matter what. So, Because Calgary, he doesn't want to resign there. You don't have cap space to continue to build your roster. It might just require a draft pick. And that's what I'm saying. I think you need to view this, or you need the Calgary Flames to view it as, our best opportunity here is to just get some draft capital in return for a guy that's not going to be here long term. Yeah. And if, and if that is something they're willing to do, maybe what you could do is, I, I don't know if they'd be willing to do this, so I want to say that up front, but... They need somebody to play on a on the cheap, on a one-year deal, preferably. Defense, maybe you trade like a Marco Scandella in this deal. Maybe. Because it's an expiring contract and you don't have to overspend on a free agent market where all of these guys are going to get way more money than what they're really worth. So you get a guy that's fine. You put him in your, bo- your bottom pair defensively, and the Blues end up trading like a couple of first-round picks for Noah Hannafin. Something like that, I think, could work for both sides. It just requires Calgary to understand that From the Blues, at least, there's not that trade to be made of an NHL-ready player, and that's why I do wonder if somebody else would be able to have something more that makes sense for Calgary. There's other teams that would love to have Noah Hannafin on their roster that probably do have some of those younger forwards that could make a little bit more sense. It's got to be something, though, that's cheaper for them, and that's the part that it gets interesting because usually those cheaper players don't match what Calgary's searching for, and it might come... If you're Calgary... Man, a second-round pick for next draft from the Blues might be intriguing enough to look at it and say, man, if they're bad again, which they weren't great this past year, that could be talking about top 10 in the second round worth a guy that you're going to lose. More than that for Hannafin, though. I don't know. Not if not if they know Hannafin's leaving because other teams are going to look at this and say, well, if he signs a contract extension. I mean, look at the defensemen that are available and look at how many teams need legitimate defensemen. I'd be shocked if they don't get if they don't get at least a first round pick. And I'm talking like maybe more than I that. I think that's got to come with the contract extension. That's and right. if Hannafin's not okay signing it, then it might just be we got to get rid of him. The NHL draft is not the only big event 
that is coming to St. Louis here pretty soon. The St. Louis Cardinals are also heading out to London where they're going to be taking on the Chicago Cubs. And the opening drive will be helping host the Big League Impact's Cardinals in London watch party this Saturday at Patios downtown. The Redbirds heading to London and you can watch the game with the opening drive at Patios. Enjoy a fun-filled afternoon, of course. That includes trivia, games, and your chance at autographed memorabilia. All the proceeds are going to support the Big League Impact. Get more details at 101 ESPN. Coming up next with the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up here in just about five minutes, we'll give you a chance to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Astros. So stay tuned for that. The fast lane's coming up at the top of the hour. But Alex, we did get the big news earlier today that Lars Newtbar is officially back. He is in the lineup today. We played the lineup game earlier. It's a day game, so I promise you I'm not giving anything away that the fast lane would be mad about. Brendan Donovan is going to be batting leadoff. He's playing in left fields today. You've got Goldie at first, batting second. Lars Newtbar is going to be your three-hole hitter today, playing in right field. And then from there, it goes Nolan Arenado at third, Contreras behind the plate. Jordan Walker is your designated hitter today, batting sixth. And then you've got Nolan Gorman at second, Paul DeYoung at short, and Tommy Edmond continues to play in center field, where he has been excellent for the Cardinals defensively. Alex, we talked about this a little bit earlier today. I'll just double down on what we said there. I think that what you learn by this is that the Cardinals are still really going after it. If they were prioritizing the development of Jordan Walker, they would continue to play him in left field because that helps him develop the one area of his game that is lagging behind. But as bad as playing up and defensively, you are much better right now with Tommy Edmond, Brendan Donovan and Lars Newtbar in the outfield than you are when you've got Jordan Walker out there. So I think it's the smart play from that perspective I think the next thing to do is to move him up in the order and move Wilson Contreras down. Yeah, that that would be, honestly, I would have looked at it, and I guess you do it because it worked so well of having Goldie at two and then somebody there at three and then Arenado at four. I would have considered Walker hitting at two for you today just for how well he's been performing. Um, but that's going to be the next step for them. I don't think it's going to get there right away even for how bad Wilson Contreras has been I look at it the same way I look at the Nolan Gorman thing Nolan Gorman's going through it and they're still putting him in the lineup even if they've dropped him down they're not moving Wilson Contreras especially if he's been this emotional over the last couple huh. of weeks for how bad it's been so I think you'll be seeing that the same way it's been Wilson Contreras hitting five until he gets out of this slump but this tells me the decision they went with is they're 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 choosing to go for it right now to try and build them up closer to that NL Central title. They're opting for com- competitiveness rather than growth for a guy like Jordan Walker. Still going to work offensively for him, but the defense, that will come. They want to win. And as soon as it starts to fall off the wagon again, if they drop a series against Washington or after June, they're sitting out of the playoffs even further. 
that's when Jordan Walker goes back to being an everyday outfielder. Yeah, and I'm excited to see if they're willing to do this and, and kind of have this still winning mentality, even though things are still going wrong for them. I, I'm glad to see that they're still throwing out the best potential defensive lineup. I'm curious to see what happens tomorrow if Carlson gets back in the lineup. That's the one. Well, I'm sure he will because it's against a lefty. I, I'm curious to know what happens when they go against another right-handed pitcher and if they want to continue to ride Nolan Gorman at second base, if Carlson plays into being in that outfield or not. They but might I, be doing is platooning Gorman and Carlson. Now, it sounds funny to say that because they play different positions, but basically you pull Gorman out of the lineup and you move Donovan to, to second, second and then you put Carlson in that spot in the outfield that Donovan then would be uh, keeping open because he's playing second. And that would make sense. So uh, maybe that is what they're doing because again Carlson has been playing better of late and maybe that's how they continue to try and maximize the line but I don't mind that at all but I, I think that helps both Gorman and Carlson agreed because I, though I know Gorman had a stretch where he hit left-handed pitching he's I don't think he's ever going to really do it at a high rate because he's always struggled in the minor leagues in doing so but I, I'm glad to see they're willing to kind of keep this open mind of you know what, let's see what Walker looks like as a DH force because I I, I disagree with their whole motto of you know well, he's got to be playing the field if he's going to be continue to develop let him grow offensively. Let him sit next to, as Alex said earlier, sit next to Willie. Learn some more things about playing outfield at the major league level. So I, I like the lineup that they threw out there today. I thought it was maybe the best they could do, except, of course, Carlson, if you wanted to go more defensive in the outfield. Today, you've got Jack Flaherty on the mound. It's going to be a tough go of it. You've got Josiah Gray on the mound for the Washington Nationals. That one coming up here in just about an hour. But before that, you've got the fast lane. And even before then, you've got a chance right now to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Astros. It features a limited edition Mark Witten bobblehead. If you text in 314-399-9646 to win these Budweiser Bash tickets for Cardinals versus Astros, you can get more details at cardinals.com slash promotions. Texture number 101 is going to be winning these. Here is what you need to text in in order to do so. Earlier today, we made a comparison of Jordan Walker to another major league hitter. He's a young player that we think compares pretty similarly to what Jordan Walker could be. Who is that player? If you're texting number 101 with the correct answer to that, you are going home with a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash. If you missed anything from today's show, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane is coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.